This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. And RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys with another choice now to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week, we're cracking safes, heads, and whys while watching spine number 115 in the Criterion Collection, Rafifi, directed by Jules Dassin from 1955. But first, RJ, <laughs> you, you look ch- chilly there over on your side. I think you need to slag off, buddy. <laughs> you know, it's cold in my basement. If you were here, you could enjoy this cold too. Mm-hmm. This is a luxury right now. It is fucking scorching hot on earth. And uh, I think it's pretty nice to have a, a basement so cold that you got to wear a hoodie. It's a luxury, my friend. And uh, frankly, I think you might be jealous. I see you over there sweating in your flannel. Um, my plaid shirt? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, he's wearing a full flannel jacket. And he's uh, he's got an axe over his shoulder. It's very weird. No, it's very ta- bizarre. And now I'm taking it off for you. So we lost the two fans we had. <laughs> we might have gained a new one, but hey. it's it's not the kind we want. On YouTube, where they don't have to listen to any of this nonsense, uh, we're on the rise, baby. I wonder. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if that's a better forum for us. <laughs> I wonder if the people who uh, like actually listen to this show. Are, like now that the YouTube exists, they're like, "Fuck, finally!" Now I don't have to listen to all the bullshit that they talk yeah, about. Listening to them talk about uh, Alyssa Milano movies from the '90s. Well, most people are down with that, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. I sign on for that Patreon to get those After Dark episodes <laughs> that don't exist yet. But uh, That's right. for a full thirty minutes. Pr- preamble of this episode we were talking about the old garbage that no one wants so yep. if you want access to that hot audio file you know send us some digits yeah yeah rj's hit us up. rj's dumping some some comics real hard yeah i dumped some comics on the local establishment partially because i knew you would have to go through them yeah and uh anything to make your life uncomfortable or just not as good as it could be that's what i aim for mostly yeah, it's it's always a sad day when the comics you sell come back at you. Um, you get yeah, make, but you, half cause, those cause comics all those because some ways like when you sell a comic and it's like yeah, it's a conquest. It's like good, we got rid of it. We don't have to look at this thing ever again. But then they, they come back at you like a boomerang, and it's out of control. And you're like, oh fuck, I have to do this all over again. And their value's like even less now because it's been five years. If it makes, does it make you feel any better that all the comics I brought to you were the bottom part of my uh, my collection? Um, Literally, the bottom half of my collection I brought to you to to just dump on you. Yeah, I guess like the consultation, the consolation there is that uh, uh, you'll be getting a fraction of what you paid for it. That's yeah, and then he gets to sell them again. He's double dipping into the market, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't see why it's a problem at all. You guys should be happy that I'm doing this. Well, if you looked at the uh, the wall of long boxes that reside at the owner's parents' place, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like another like half hundred, like half hundred, at least a hundred boxes, and it's like, oh, here's another eight. <laughs> why, That's why not? Yeah, but you need those three copies of the Joker's daughter. You need those. Jesus Christ! I don't know. That's his choice, man. He bought a comic yeah. shop. He must love it. Well, anyway, enough Anyways. shop talk. RJ, uh-huh. how, are, how are how are things? Fine, man. <laughs> Good. Good. I, I didn't do anything cool. I went to a barbecue. We made about 30 hot dogs. That was pretty cool. I thought, no, I understand that you built a barbecue. 
I did build a barbecue this weekend. Wow. Uh, it was quite the event. Uh, I built it in the garage. I bent down a lot. My knees started to hurt after a while. You know, those old uh, sports knees. You know what the p- people say. <laughs> about sports knees so uh anyways yeah i built the barbecue we got it at a steal of a deal andrea paid for it because i'm a a bum but uh you know maybe with this comic cash coming in (laughs) i can uh go buy some meats to uh throw on the barbie but uh i don't know yeah i built a barbecue did some barbecuing of my own i went to a barbecue at ham meats house he cooked about 30 hot dogs uh it's quite the event wow there was a really buff guy there doing chin-ups on the, uh, <laughs> the gazebo, and uh, this guy I know came up to me. He's like, "Hey, you ever just uh, go to a party and do a bunch of chin-ups?" And I was like, "No." He's like, "Yeah, me neither." <laughs> uh, so it was pretty weird. Met some interesting people. Uh, I met uh, one of those far-right activists, uh, and it was a little weird. He was kind of like a Ben Carson type guy. Uh, but he was from <laughs> Lethbridge, so I was like, As, I was like, now, why, why do you, RJ? When you say Ben Carson, do you mean like a neuro neurologist, a brain surgeon? Uh, no, I mean he had a goatee like Ben I, Carson I and a cowboy hat. Okay, yeah. but uh, no, he had some weird ideas, and uh, it made me wonder. As he was born and late raised in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, I was like, where did you get these ideas? <laughs> what have you been reading? He was really into alt media. He asked me. Uh, he was actually really nice. I talked to him for like a, an hour or something. And then he was like, hey, man, have you ever heard of alt media? And I was like, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. I was like, where are we going here? Mm-hmm. And uh, it went down a uh, weird road. Of, he was fighting with this other guy about uh, government and healthcare. care. Uh, this this weird guy, he thought uh, universal health care was just the worst fucking thing that's ever happened. <laughs> uh, he said he did the math one day. And it made way more sense to have privatized healthcare, and uh, how everyone else was wrong. And uh, you should privatize water, and uh, like what? just the craziest ideas, man. I can't even. I, I can't even, bro. Uh, yeah, so, anyways, yeah. I did that, but uh, the uh, the food was good because ham meat uh, cooks up a mean dog. I started playing in a D and D campaign for the first time in like ten years. Fucking nerd. I'm pretty stoked about it. Uh, there was no talk yet of alt media um, and, and assorted things and about privatization. Uh, it's just about uh, it's learning new software about, uh, you know, playing this D&D on some software called Fantasy Grounds where, like, you, you have no miniatures. You have no, like, little maps. It's just, like, you get to play and you click buttons on your laptop and then you talk, I guess. It's kind of uh, weird to me. We'll see how it pans out long term. Um, my experience generally with role playing games is people, humanity, people are just like flaky and unreliable, mm-hmm. and they can't make like one day a week work like for mm-hmm. extended periods of time. So I don't know. I'm hoping maybe this will be the one that like goes longer, goes deep. Um, do some of that um, dungeon delving. I think you're a huge nerd. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have your own pair of custom dice that you roll on the side? No, I don't. <laughs> I uh, I think you're a nerd. Yeah. But uh, it may shock you to learn that for about a year I was in a D&D group. Yeah, a lot, so many people. But you know D&D. what happened? What? People couldn't commit to the one-day-a-week schedule. That's what happens. That's what happens, man. It's life, hey, in tra- it's life in transition. There were days I couldn't go. I was like, you know what, bruh? I can't make it tonight. Mm-hmm. 
That's shit to do. Yeah, not everyone can show up one same day every week. Well, even for a podcast, some people find that very difficult to do. But you look at us! Look what? at us! Look at us! Hey, hey, you you make it sound like it was all sunshine and roses, but we had some hard days, man. There were days where you, I saw you just trashing your fucking place in anger because I was ten minutes late. Just anarchy. So uh, we we did it, but a lot of pain comes from that. And if you watched Atlanta, you would know that <laughs> great art comes from great pain. Sure. That's what that show's about. Sure, sure. Jared's distracted, and uh, he's ruining the podcast, and we we were losing all of the fans that we had, and it's a really sad day. Here, RJ. What? What you been creeping on? You want to know what I've been creeping on, you motherfucker? All right, let's let's hit it here. Hit it hard. Uh, I watched some heist movies, Jared. Whoa. Or actually, man. you know what I'll talk about first? What? Because I know you've really been interested in this. I watched the, the most recent Adam Sandler foray on Netflix, directed <laughs> by Mr. Robert Smeagol. Oh. Uh, that's a real name. Uh, so I watched The Week Of. And uh, you may be asking yourself, why did I watch this? And I don't have an answer for you. Andrea had it on. And uh, I was too tired to say no. Uh, so The Week Of, Jared, is a Netflix movie with Adam Sandler. Yeah. And uh, his daughter is marrying the son of Chris Rock. And uh, it's about the week before the wedding where everyone's uh, living in his, his little house. And he's trying to make everything work. He's trying to do it it's, all, it's man. It's like Father of the Bride. It is like Father of the Bride. But like uh, it's very like um, sweet and kind-hearted because Adam Sandler's like trying his best. But he's like very clearly poor. And has like a hundred kids, but he can't like, but he wants to make the best thing. And Chris Rock is like a really fancy surgeon and has lots of money. And he's like, I can make all the problems go away, man. But uh, Adam Sandler's like, no, dude, I got it, bro. He talks like that too. Um, it's not very good, Jarrett. No. It's not very good. <laughs> is but it, I, it's one of those like uh, movies that's part of that Adam Sandler Netflix deal where he just got paid like is. a whole lot of money to like just make things. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I, I'll say this. It's not as totally bad as I think some of his other stuff was, but it's not good either. Um, you might like it because at one point, a paraplegic or an amputee man with no legs gets thrown into a ball pit and Ooh. and they can't find him. So that's a real uh, Duncan uh, Sizzler, I think <laughs> is what the kids call it. But uh, I thought I should talk about it because, you know what, we'll never talk about it again on this show. And uh, you need to know about the week of. Yeah, it's always great to keep abreast of the uh, the Netflix movies that just fill up the fucking what's new on Netflix right mm-hmm. alongside Arrested Development Season 5. Yeah, see? We, we'll we'll in- accept our endorsement check right now, our sponsorship. Yeah. But, uh, no, I don't know. It's, it's not good, but it's uh, better than some of the other things he's been making lately. And it was under two hours, which is nice because Ooh. that Sandy Wexler movie he made was like two and a half hours. That's disgusting. Yeah, me and Andrea watched half of it, and we never finished it because we watched about an hour and 40 minutes, and we were just like, we can't watch any more of this. It's too long. So anyways, I watched that movie. That sucks. But uh, I watched some heist movies. Ooh, in maybe. preparation for today's film. For today's film because I am a fucking professional, and I take this podcast seriously every week. So I watched a movie that uh, many people were shocked, shocked, to find out that I had never seen before. You, for one, uh, I saw you just vi- recoil in visible disgust 
when I told you that I had not watched Michael Mann's 1995 Heat. Um... Mm. I think I have seen scenes from this movie, uh, which I think a lot of people have. Yeah. Uh, like Al Pacino talking about a great ass. Yep. That was my Al Pacino. Was it good? No. What if? Well, I didn't want to yell in the mic. That's thank you. He had a great ass. Was that better? No. Okay, nice. So I watched Heat Baby from a uh, creep alum, Mr. Michael Mann, who we'll get to eventually. One day. One Does day. he only have one? Yeah, he's only got the one, which is also a heist movie. What is Last of the Mohicans not a Criterion? No, but it will be. It, but will, it will be. be. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah, Michael Mann, the dude. I think we we did talk about Manhunter on this show before, I believe, right? Uh, Doesn't matter. Yeah, a little bit, probably. I think so. So I watched Heat. It's a heist movie. You got Robbie Bobby D. Uh, anti-vaxxer nut job that I can't take seriously anymore. But this is before he, before all that. So you got him. He's leading a team of bandits. You got smoking hot Val Kilmer with his wicked cool ponytail. Mm-hmm. You got Tom Sizemore doing his thing. You got Danny Trio. He's in there. I think his name in this movie is Trio or Trio. Uh, he's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, special guest appearances. Like the Allstate guy. Uh, you know him. What's his name? You know the Allstate guy. Do I? Yeah, that guy with the super the super deep voice. And he's always like, you're in good hands. <laughs> you don't know him? Oh, God. I wish I, I should. Come on. You know the Allstate guy. Allstate Anyways, guy. I'll let you think about it for a while. He's the he's the guy that he's like the cook in Heat, and they bring him in to be the driver for a minute. Oh, fuck! Yeah, you know who I'm talking about, buddy. Oh my god! But anyway, Anyways. is it Dennis Eastbert? Yeah, it is Dennis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. we got Hank Azaria, Ashley Judd, John Voight with a super cool like grease mullet kind of thing he's got rocking and then uh, our close personal friend Tom Noonan is in this as well, and Tom Sleesmore. And Tom, well, I mentioned Tom oh, yeah, Seasmore. Yeah, yeah. I missed but, that bit, uh, but yeah. Yeah, and your crew of bandits. So they're bandits. They're going around. They're mugging people. They're robbing people. And then you got Al Pacino with his hit crew of detectives featuring your buddy Ted Levine mm-hmm. and Natalie. Buff- Buffalo Bill himself. Be- One of them big fat girls. Being be- person. Uh, and Who's very uh, good in this, actually. Oh, yeah, well, he's like the big bad. Who, Ted Levine? Yeah. In this? Yeah. In Heat? Yeah. As a cop? No. No, Ted Levine's a cop in this. Isn't Ted Levine uh, Bosco? No, no, no. No, Ted Levine isn't Bosco. That's someone else. No, it's... it's, it's oh, Bo- no, Ted Levine is Bosco. Yeah, he's like the, the fucking piece of shit that causes much chagrin for some viewing audiences. They get very angry at Robert De Niro's decision-making. D- am I mental? I thought Ted Levine was the cop. Al Pacino is a cop. <laughs> yeah, but I thought Ted Levine was one of the cops. Am I completely fucking out of my mind? Um, maybe you are. Maybe like it's been a little while since I seen it, but oh god, did damn. he did he play two roles in this movie? Isn't wait, wait maybe I'm no confused. no. 
I think I think we're way off on here. Okay, we're we're taking a, a sidetrack from creeping for a minute to get to the bottom of this weird mystery because we can't we can't be that off on this. Ted Levine is Bosco. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, but but the big bad guy, his name is something else, isn't it? Oh man, see this this was throwing me off here. Yeah, the big the who's, big who's bad. The, who's the piece of shit that's raping and killing? Yeah, that's not Bosco. Bosco is a cop. Right? Oh, okay. See, see, you're the one who okay. needs to fucking watch. So, so who's Keith. so who's the dude? Wangro. Wangro. That's it. Wangro, and his name is Kevin Gage, and uh, this guy is pretty cool. He was in The Burbs. Um, <laughs> that's the only movie I know him from. But there when you see him, is. he does kind of look like Ted Levine. Not, not, to, be, not, not to be confused with. Uh, uh, the footballer Kevin Gage. Kevin Gage, yeah, exactly. Um, oh, and he was, so, yeah. and he was in Con Air, Billy Joe. Yeah. So I was right, and uh, Jarrett was wrong. Yep, as I was. always. But uh, no, Ted Levine is a cop in this, Jarrett, and he's very good as the cop. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Wayne Grove. But how? But how does his performance compare to that in The Mangler? This is better than The Mangler. His performance. He, he is better in this than The Mangler. Okay. This movie's all around good. Uh, uh, I never yeah, mentioned I, that. I'd say uh, so. I'd say it's pretty he, good, RJ. Heat's a borderline masterpiece, I think, uh, for so many very good reasons. I'm not going to sit here and tell you why Heat is good. But yeah. listen to this. Heat's a good movie. Uh, it's got some classic Michael Mann stuff, uh, <laughs> like the music. And I like this thing that he does where he com- sometimes like speeds stuff up. Like there's scenes where Al Pacino's like driving and it's like sped up, but his like head is stationary. Like I think that is really cool. Uh, the best part of Heat, Jarrett, is the sound design. It is so good in this movie. Now you're talking Just, about like the, you mean like the actual like like every element of the sound. sound. Okay, ambient sound, baby. Well, uh, and the so, ba- the use the sound design of like the bank robbery. Like even so, even in 2.0, like that the audio in that is like fucking amazing. So good. Uh, what I love about Heat is that when they get down to the real shit. They cut all that music and it's just the actual fucking audio of what's going on. Like the uh, yeah, like the bank shootout and stuff like that. It's like there's no music. You don't need any of that shit. It's just dude, like you, you just hear dudes running and breathing heavy fucking shots. Just some moments of quietness because people are standing still. I think that's amazing. And it shouldn't be, but it is because a lot of movies ruin stuff like that with mm-hmm. just dropping in music. Like mm-hmm. another movie I watched earlier, or I'll talk about later in the episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I think the sound is the best part of fucking yeah. Heat, man. It's so good. Oh yeah, no, yeah. This 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 movie is like a pretty amazing piece of '90s filmmaking. Uh, it's like high dog. water, man. Like, this is like the movie that usually when people buy, they're like. Back in the day, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm buying a new DVD system. I'm going to have my, like, sound, my 5.1, my 7.1 sound system in. And they they test out Heist with it. Or not Heist, Heat with it. Um, well, I, for, yeah. For, for, the, uh, for the 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 bank robbery scene. And, and they just fucking crank it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff, buddy. I like Heat. You should like Heat, too. Yeah, I mean, so I, I saw, I could, I saw your, talk- your, your friend... Uh-huh. Ryan watched it. He he only gave it four stars. What, what's with that? I don't know. Maybe he can Ryan. write in the show and let us know why he only uh, what, thought Heat what, was a four star. How, how, how's it? What's it? Where's it lacking, Ryan? <laughs> I don't know. I see a friend of the show, Oliver Granger, also gave Heat four stars. So I'm interested to hear why these guys I, have uh, well, such I, a discord for Heat. I expect 
uh, I expect that from Oliver, but Ryan, come on. Yeah, man. he's a wild card. Come on. Uh, I don't. I don't know. But I thought, uh, I thought you like the thing that actually that blows me away is because, like, I often would like when I think of Dark Knight, I always think of like yeah, like the opening of that movie. It's just fucking heat. Like it just full on is like a Michael Mann movie. It's like that's why it's like kind of the appeal of uh, that Nolan movie is like he he watched his Michael Mann tapes. He studied it. He he knew what he that's was doing. That's why he cast William Fitchner. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Warner Brothers. Yeah, Michael Mann's super cool. One day we'll talk about Thief and Collateral, because Collateral might be in the Criterion one day. You know what I noticed? Michael Mann has a thing ab- about banks, because in this and in Pubic Enemas, the, you know, the Johnny Depp movie from 2009. <laughs> uh, a good, great movie, that Pubic Enemas. Pubic Enemas. That's what I call it, because that movie let everyone down. It was a huge it disappointment. Really, yeah, the movie's not so special. It was a huge disappointment. And it looks like butt. Like that movie, because he shot it with like digital cameras. And yeah. oh, it looks so like it cubic looks so animus. Uh, but I noticed there's a line in Heat that's in that too, mm-hmm. where uh, they're in the bank robbery, where he's like, We're here for the bank's money, not yours. Yeah. And it's like, because I saw it in Heat and I was like, What? I was like, Did public or pubic animus rip <laughs> that off? And then I looked up public enemies and I was like, Oh shit, that's a Michael Mann movie too. Sure I was like, what's is. his deal with Banks? Well, his like first thing that he made, uh, Jericho Mile, I believe that's like a bank robbery. It's like, or actually, what's it called? L.A. Heist. Like, he one of his very first movies is like a mm-hmm. bank robbery thing. It was like a test run for. Uh, yeah. If you look up the yeah. poster for Jericho Mile on uh, Letterboxd, it looks like it says Jerko. 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 So that's funny. Anyways, right. Heat's wicked cool. We could do a whole episode on Heat, but we probably shouldn't. Well, maybe maybe we sh- maybe when it gets real hot this summer, we'll do a whole episode just whole on, epi- on Michael Mann Heat. Michael Mann? And how it, it makes us feel between the thighs. Yeah, there's LA Takedown, which is uh, two skilled professionals, one a cop, the other a criminal, who aren't as different as they think. Vincent Hanna is an intense cop on the trail of ruthless armed robber Patrick McLaren. After a botched heist, the two men confront each each, uh, via a full-scale battle on the seedy streets of Los Angeles. So that's 1989, I like takedown. Jericho Mile is like a different story. I think it's like, Mm. what is it, man sentenced to life in prison, choosing to do his time in near isolation, engages in distance running when given the opportunity for free time. So that's Mm. more of a jail thing rather than a banky thing. I understand. I understand. And he's one of the original producers on that Miami Vice show. Before, before he went and directed that Miami Vice movie that some people think very highly of, which I think is just... Who thinks highly of that fucking movie? Come on. Uh, lots of people. They like... The, I don't know. Mm. They, there's some people that have very uh, strong feelings toward that movie. I have strong feelings towards Heat. Well, are you excited that Jamie Foxx is going to be playing Spawn? Apparently, Jamie Foxx and Michael Mann didn't get along, and that's why Miami Vice has a weird ending is because they had to reshoot it because they didn't get along. Did you ever hear that? Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think Spawn's wicked, but I like the normal Spawn. The Spawn. John Mike was Yeah. I like, I like the Spawn. The Spawn. Yeah. I like saying that, though. The Spawn. The Spawn. Anyways, he's, he's wicked. He, yeah, he's wicked. And uh, Al Pacino, uh, this I think this might be my favorite Al Pacino role. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now, 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 do you mean because it's like, okay, because there's like phases of Al Pacino. You have yeah. to like, uh, my, my buddy Corey and I, uh, many years ago, we kind of uh, worked our way through Al Pacino's filmography as much as we could. Mm-hmm. And there's like the period of time where he was like a serious actor and he was like, he gave a shit. And then mm-hmm. like around Sea of Love, which is like 1989 uh, to like Sin of a Woman, something mm-hmm. changed in him. And that's when you get 
Hooah Pacino and uh, and Devil's Advocate Pacino and Heat Pacino. Uh, I, I think Heat is like where it's still like uh, practical Pacino in in his in his uh, scenery chewing. But uh, then I don't know watching that Phil Spector movie that uh, mm-hmm. which is actually uh, written and directed by David Mamet, who also did another movie you'll be you'll be talking about here soon. Yeah. Um, what about Danny Collins Pacino? That's a good Pacino. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, every time Andrea is looking for something to watch on Netflix, I always put Danny Collins on for her, and she's like, "I don't want to watch this fucking movie," and I'd be like, "Watch it." I've never seen Danny Collins. I just want someone else to watch it for me. I see. But anyways, I'm pretty excited for that Joe Paterno movie with uh, Pacino this year. Oh yeah, okay. I think that will be cool. Real fun. Real fun. Uh, so yeah, Heat's wicked. Al Pacino is wicked. Val Kilmer's ponytail is wicked. That ending is wicked. Well, so like, so that, I, that the, shot of sheer disappointment uh, in that woman's face. Yeah. With utter, like, the realization of what's going on. Oh, it's well, beautiful. I know one thing that gets in people's craw with heat is that what? Robert De Niro should never have gone back because it doesn't make sense for his character to be that dumb. It doesn't. Because it's like, because he can always get Wingro later. Like, he could always, like, say, yeah. fuck it and take out Wingro and make him pay at a later point and get get away clean. But he decides yeah. to go back for some reason. I would say that it's it's got to be something like... So I, I can see why that is a, a complaint because I have a complaint like that for a different movie I watched that we'll talk about later. Yeah. But uh, I when I was watching Heat, I never questioned it because I felt like it was like kind of... I don't. I, I felt like it was a, an emotional reaction, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. He's mad. He's lost his whole yeah. heat crew. Well, see, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, uh, I was kind of like, wasn't sure if I'd say, hey, we should talk about heat after we talk about Rafifi because they have like very similar elements. Well, we'll talk about heat later. Yeah, okay. we'll talk about heat more later. So, what, what other heist movies did you watch, RJ? Well, I watched a Jarrett pick. Yeah, uh, that was just rampant. In animal abuse and violence, uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I'm really curious. I'll, I'll tell you about, about this it. means. So, so 1974's uh, Michael Samino flick Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Yep. Uh, Michael Samino, you might know from The Deer Hunter and Heaven's Gate. Yes. And uh, Future Creep. Movie, Future Creep, The Sun Chaser with Woody Harrelson, I believe. <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, so Thunderbolt and Lightfoot stars Clint Eastwood. Jeff Bridges. Uh, it also has uh, a special appearance by uh, creep favorite, Mr. George Kennedy, mm. and uh, a very short uh, but memorable cameo by uh, Mr. Gary Busey. Ah. So Thunderbolt and Lightfoot is a kind of heist movie in a sense. Uh, so it starts off and uh, it's almost like a Smokey and Bandit feel. Clint Eastwood is like a priest hiding out somewhere and Jeff Bridges is like a no good kid who steals a car and uh, Clint Eastwood's given a sermon. Some uh, George Kennedy comes in and shoots up the place. So he's on the run and then he hooks up with Jeff Bridges and then they're on the run together. So you feel like it's going to be like an on the run movie. They're kind of like driving around making like a brotherly bond uh, and they're on the run from these guys chasing Clint Eastwood. You find out that Clint Eastwood was uh, used to be part of a gang. He was like a driver. They called him Thunderbolt. Um, but then about halfway through, uh, they meet up with these guys and then it becomes a heist movie. And then they go after like uh, the Montana Armory or something like that. Yeah, it's been a while since so I've actually seen it. 
something like that. Uh, but what you get in this movie is really beautiful shots of Montana, and if it was in Montana, maybe even Alberta. I don't know. Montana, Wyoming type area. Yeah. Where it's like lots of rolling hills and like uh, wheat fields and just beautiful sunsets, Jared. Vastness. Just beautiful, beautiful sunsets. A lot of, lot of shots of Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges hanging out in the uh, the back of trucks driving on the highway with that big open, that big sky country, buddy. So uh, that's very nice. Uh, this movie is pretty good. I actually, I did like it quite a bit. I like that Eastwood. I like that 70s Eastwood stuff. Uh, so when I take this under the Animal uh, Endangerment Act, because this movie has one of the weirdest scenes for like a 1970s movie. So Clint and Jeff Bridges are hitchhiking, and they get picked up by this guy in this like souped up like charger type thing with huge wheels. And he's like, get in, boys, get in here. And he's got like raccoons and cages in the car. And you're like, okay. And then he, he rolls the car and the car like lands on its wheels and he gets out. Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges get out. They're like, what the hell is going on? And he opens the trunk and there's like 200 white <laughs> rabbits just fucking jammed in the trunk of this car. And they all get out and start running. And this guy starts fucking lighting them up with his rifle or shotgun. And he's really shooting these rabbits <laughs> he's you go back and watch this movie he's really shooting them like huh. it doesn't show him peg one off like directly on screen but you see him shoot the gun and the fucking ground explode where he's shooting it's not a squib it's not oh, an effect because he's shooting these fucking rabbits and there's I, I just felt bad i was like man they really packed those things into the fucking trunk of that car. Fuck. Like I'm, sh- I'm sure they weren't in the car during the stunt when it rolled, but they were in there for a while whenever they shot the scene. So that was my uh, my tag for the hmm. uh, animal endangerment scene. I got gotcha. And it comes out of nowhere too. And then that guy <laughs> runs off, and Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges are like, "Oh fuck, that was weird." Um. So this this movie's pretty good because it has like really bizarre scenes like that in here. Just kind of, but they don't feel like they're really out of place. Right. If that makes sense. And it's kind of just like a good buddy show, like a good buddy heist thing. Right. Like if uh, Clint Eastwood was a little older, I guess this this would fit under like a father son type deal, like uh that weird convict relationship yeah, stuff mentoring but, uh, yeah yeah but it's more like a brotherly thing uh yeah like a mentor thing because jeff bridge is like the young guy uh it's got this movie's got some good lines it's got some really funny stuff like george kennedy's just always he has like a sidekick and the sidekick always says something and george kennedy's just like shut the fuck up he's like nobody oh, gives yeah. a shit yeah george kennedy's so mad in this movie Oh, he's so mad, and he's fucking cold as ice. Yeah. He's, like, spoiler, his friend gets shot, and he's like, he's like, well, you're going to die in a couple minutes, so he just pushes him out of a car. Yeah. He's like, fuck you then, buddy. Um, but there's some there's some good fun stuff. Uh, the only thing that uh, I think kind of brings this movie down, other than that weird rabbit scene, <laughs> is uh, Jeff Bridges is kind of a bad actor in this movie. Um, he gets better as he gets older. Mm-hmm. He's a good actor now. But uh, in this movie, he's uh, his delivery of some lines are a little bit, a uh, little goofy. Have you have you watched a lot of uh, any like other like seventies bridges? Uh, let me see. Let me see. Uh, like he he's not like the end of the movie. He's pretty good, but at the start of the movie, he's he's a little bit goofy. Let me see what I've seen here for early Jeff Bridges. Uh, nothing pre. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. 
King Kong from the 70s. Yeah. And Tron, uh, The Last Unicorn. I've seen that bad boy. <laughs> Lending his uh, voice. King Kong Lives. Is he in that movie too? We did a whole episode on that. Uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe it's like in flashback or something. I don't know. Or at the very beginning, maybe. I don't think he's in there long, if, he, if it much at all. The American remake of The Vanishing, we'll get there yeah, in a couple. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some good bridges out there you should check out, like uh, Cutter's Way. That's a, yeah, that's a good that, one. Yeah, that's it. All the stuff I named, that's the all the early bridges I've seen. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I mean he's a good Ooh, actor. Bad now. Company. There's a there's a there's a western with him. It's like a, the most Coen Brothers movie the Coen Brothers never made. Ah, I I, I get down on that. No. So uh, I got two movies left. What you want me to do? Do it. Which one do you want me to hit you with? Give me that. Give me that heist. You want to hear about heist? Yeah, tell me how that movie yeah. is these days. Uh, heist holds up pretty good. Two thousand and one's heist by David Mamet. Mamet, damn it. Uh, the director of uh, creep favorite film Spartan, yeah, and uh, other stuff. Oh, I'm sure. he's he's a I I'm a I'm a big Mamet fan. Uh, Phil Spector movie, some homicide stuff. So uh, David Mamet did this movie in 2001 called Heist. Had Gene Hackman, Danny DeVito, Delroy Lindo, Sam Rockwell, Rebecca Pigeon, and uh, Ricky Jay, who is a super. Cool dude. And Rebecca Pigeon's his wife, David Mann. Rebecca Pigeon is his wife, and uh, I think Ricky Jay is in a lot of his movies. Yes, too. he loves that. Uh, he loves that magic man. You you might not know him by name, but if you saw that guy, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know that guy. That's a cool guy. I have, I have a bunch of his books that he he's done on magic and freak shows and stuff. Ricky Jay. Yeah. Yeah, Ricky Jay is a cool dude. He has a whole book about throwing cards. <laughs> he was in the Prestige. He was. Yeah. I like Ricky J. Yeah. Anyways, so we're we're talking about Heist here. So Heist is a movie. Gene Hackman is kind of uh, the heist master for his crew with Delroy Lindo and Ricky J. And uh, his like girlfriend, Rebecca Pigeon. They're going around doing heists. Uh, you see them in the opening. They do like a bank robbery. And then they kind of report back to their setup man, who is Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. Danny DeVito's like, ah, he's like kind of always grumpy. And he's like, you guys fucked up the job. You didn't do it right. Gene Hackman got made. You're done. You're fucking done in this town. Yep. Uh, and they're like, sounds, sounds like a heist movie to me. Yeah, a heist movie. Uh, and Danny DeVito just like, ah, you're done. And he's like, hey, you got one more job, but you got to take my nephew Sam Rockwell here on the, the uh, on the job so he can learn what you're doing. And uh, Gene Hackman and Delroy Lindo and Ricky Jay, they're like, ah, fuck this shit. Like, we don't want this kid. But they take him along, and they're doing, like, uh, recon for jobs. And Sam Rockwell's, like, a, like a wild card. He's a hot-headed. He's always – whenever uh, heat gets put down on him, he gets all squirrely and, tries and like, almost freaks out. But uh, to quote Ricky Jay, he says – talking about Gene Hackman, he says, my, my motherfucker's so cool. When he when goes he, to uh, bed, sheep she count bed? him. Yeah. Ooh, baby, that's a good line. So there's that in here. <laughs> all the, and, all the uh, dialogue in this movie. All the like yeah, oh, ch- actually, Chinese so, babies. <laughs> I, I have something to say about that. But uh, So Sam Rockwell's a hothead. And then you see uh, Gene Hackman's crew try to shake him a couple times. Like they're just fucking masterminds. They, they know their way in and out of doing cons. So like they trick Sam Rockwell into thinking the, the heist has gone bad and he leaves. But uh, he comes back. 
just kind of out of coincidence because he's like, he's like, I'm going to go do it myself. And he finds out they're still there. And he's like, man, you guys are going to cut me out. So then like, there's a couple times where they like set him up to like, uh, to take the fall for it or they steal the, what they stole with him from him. And they're doing all this stuff. So this movie is about a, like a bunch of double switches i guess Mm -hmm. that's not a term but like it's a bunch of double fakes where like you go this way i go that way but i really went this way Mm -hmm. so it's a lot of stuff like that uh i think he uh heast uh heist (laughs) heast i think heast is uh it's actually pretty like it's not bad um i remember watching this uh when i was a little kid and i was like oh yeah heist is so good it's got that special like that fucking surprise ending man it fucking blow your dick off it's like ninja scroll <laughs> uh, i watched it uh it's probably been like 10 like 15 years since i've seen this movie yep. but i don't know it's pretty good man like uh you know where it's going but it's still kind of entertaining yep. uh mostly because gene hackman's fucking awesome yeah i wish he was still around i don't know what happened to him retired Come out of retirement, you old fucker. We need you. Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Mooseport, you fucking bastard. So we need Gene Hackman, but him and like Delroy Lindo are really good together. That dude's wicked. You know the guy from Gone in sixty seconds? Oh, I know I know Delroy. Yeah, that guy's awesome. so like they're really good together, and I think they make this movie really good. Um and so the dialogue. Uh I actually like the dialogue in this movie because a lot of it seems really like it's it actually seems real. It's not like goofy and like trying to sound really smart most of the time. Like there are a couple of lines you're just like, ooh, that's weird. But uh, a lot of the time, like it just sounds like real people talking. There's a line when Danny DeVito's talking about like how they fucked everything up, and he's like, "You had it all. You had it all made, but you were a contradiction and you you blew it." And like it was something like that. And I found it was like such a weird way to phrase it i was like what do you mean you were a contradiction like i don't think he was trying to make it sound fancy i think it was just like real talk it was like this is what a guy would maybe say he's like he's confusing words for other words Mm. almost so i actually thought the dialogue in this was a lot more uh realistic than a different movie i watched this week (laughs) <laughs> which I'll get to, but I don't know, man. I thought Heist was okay. I can't like. No, there's like I don't know. It's like because uh, David Mamet. I mean, he's a playwright, yeah. right? He's like kind of, his mm-hmm. thing is all dialogue. You get, like the in this movie, you get the the China theme. You get like lines like "How long is a Chinaman's name?" You get oh, "Yeah, geez. I came all the way from China in a matchbox and cute as a China baby" or whatever it is. It's like it's just such a. That's what I remember about it. It's like all these like affectations. Yeah, I'm like, what's what's with the China talk, Mamet? What what are you on about here? Mm-hmm. Here's a one from Pinky. Never like the Swiss. They make them little clocks. These two cocksuckers come out of them with these little hammers, hit each other on the head. What kind of sick mentality is that? But you see, so. <laughs> oh, or, or, I, I was or watching Joe this and Moore. I thought it was kind of funny, though. Where, it is funny. It's just like yeah. odd. It's like, Joe Moore, where's my wife? Let me tell you something about your girl, Joe. She's a whore. Mm-hmm. Classic. So, uh, I don't know, man. I think. I think heist is like if you've never seen it, it's worth watching once. Mm-hmm. And if you have seen it, like especially way back, it's worth watching again almost just to just breathe in all that good Gene Hackman stuff. Mm-hmm. And like their heist jobs are pretty cool. They do them well. Yep. For the most part. So uh, yeah, heist is uh, it's not bad. Heist is tight. Heist is tight. Heist. Heist, heist. is a good show. So then I watched a movie, Jared, mm-hmm. and this is the last one I'll talk about today. Okay. 
I watched a movie, Jarrett, that a lot of people like. This is Hip with the Millennials. Oh, I totally forgot you watched this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. This is Hip with the Millennials. Oh, it's so This is it's Hip so... with almost everyone I can see. A lot of fans of this show not, really like this Not movie. me. Not you. I, I, you, I saw you this. You talked about this briefly on the podcast. Well, I also, I talked about this with you like in front of your house as I like walked to the theater and was walking home after seeing it. And I happened to run into you on my way back home. And I gave this you, I gave you the lay down and I was like, well, RJ, uh, I'm a hateful son of a bitch. Uh, uh I've been uh-huh. described as condescending, uh, twice in the last week. Um, nice. and, uh, <laughs> by the same person. Uh, oh, okay. That's and, not uh, yeah, it's not as bad, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, go on, continue. You, you saw a movie that uh, I primed you for some time ago. So it wasn't just you. When when this movie came out, you weren't hot on it, but that's not surprising. You don't like a lot of stuff. Yeah. But this movie has a weird reputation for being real, like people just fucking praising this thing, saying it's the best shit ever. And then actually a pretty good, healthy chunk of people don't like this movie. People like you. People like me. Uh, so I watched Baby Driver. By Edgar Wright. Uh, small caveat: uh, I used uh, I like Edgar Wright quite a bit. Scott Pilgrim is like one of my favorites. But we had a falling out. Me and Edgar, me and Eddie, a couple months ago had a falling out on Twitter. Very public. Uh, very public. Uh, I made a honest mistake, uh, and I replied to a tweet of his. And it wasn't a mean thing. It wasn't mean spirited. I wasn't making fun of anyone. It was just. An honest, like, hey, that's kind of cool. Uh, what he d- decided to do was reply to that reply uh, with teen angst. And uh, I think that's the best way to describe it. He, rep- he replied to it with angst. And then what followed was just droves of angry Edgar Wright fans just fucking laying on me. Just anything you could think of. It was just like, you fucking piece of shit. You big idiot. It's like, you think Eddie would do anything like that? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I made a mistake, boys. And I was like, I didn't even say anything bad. I was saying a good thing about what he did. And it was a mistake. But uh, his fans really let me have it. Mm -hmm. So since that... I've been a little bit on the uh, the fence with old Edgar, so uh, I hate watched this fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> but not, and like, not that it swayed my opinion. Uh, I I don't think Baby Driver is that good, for a lot of reasons. Okay, I, I'll I'll save I'll wait, I'll, I'll let you talk and I'll tell you the, yep. the best thing about the movie. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll give some credit where it's due. Uh, yes, Edgar Wright is a good director. This movie is very well directed and it's very well edited. That's uh, that was all I was going to be able to give it. This movie is like really That's all well, it is. It is so well edited. <laughs> it's it's super well edited. Uh like the way he times things up with music and all that. It's very good. But if this movie didn't have any of that, this movie would be co- total garbage, I think. So <sighs> Well, I mean that's like <sighs> it, it, that's harsh, yeah. No, but I mean like that's like that's the movie too is like yeah. the the whole editing of it. I, I I think the problem is that like even with that, even with the great editing whatever, it's like well that's fine, but like on a story level, it's like this movie's like it's just a fucking stupid movie with like so, about like super it's a superhero movie and that's what people so, seem to like yeah. about it. Here it is on the story level. The, uh the entire film is based on uh, contrived 
coincidences that set up stuff where it's just like it's like oh shit why do we do this and it's like oh because we have to because we got to set up this thing later to like the point where it's just like this doesn't even fucking make sense like there's certain things like all this like uh stuff with jamie fox where he's like this bad dude he's like let's go right there we're gonna do this now like he 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 right after they do this like botched job jamie fox is like let's stop at that diner i'm hungry and he's like why he's like just do it okay and it's just so that they can like see that uh ansel elgort like knows the waitress so that later in the movie it can get brought up again so that later in the movie john ham can go there at the end and it's just like but it doesn't make any sense it was like why do they stop why is there this thing and like i was thinking the whole time i was like okay maybe maybe uh kevin spacey put him up to this because he knows that this guy's got stuff on the inside because he seems to know everything but then at the same time he doesn't know anything when it's convenient to the plot when they're like why you record everything even though he he's known this kid for like 20 years it's like oh well he makes music so he doesn't know it then but that's just because it's convenient and it causes like tension in the scene i guess mm-hmm. i don't know these are like these are like nitpicky things but it, it was stuff that really stuck uh, like stuck out to me because it's just like this movie doesn't even fucking make sense within the world of the movie is like why do these characters fight with each other why is there this tension here like like why and like baby like baby guy like decides to go on that last ride because he's like oh i guess i have to and but he wanted to run away so it's like we'll do the one thing and then run away like i don't know man so there there there's things in the story that i don't like uh then uh i think the dialogue is bad i think the way this movie is written is real bad because everyone tries to come off like real smart and i don't think it's believable at all like when i was saying with heist heist has like some really goofy fucking lines in there but i was like you know i know people who talk like that that's actually kind of believable people who just like say like old old things it's like oh, how how many how long is a chinese man's name and it's like, yeah, you know, I've heard someone say that before. That's kind of real. But yep. what I haven't heard people say is like in Baby Driver, it's like, it's like, what y'all need to know about my plan? And then it like fucking breaks down like an equation. But it's like this guy who they they say in the movie is just like a drug addict and has like is just like this weird dude. It's like you think that guy's that smart that he can talk like this? Maybe he is. I don't know. I didn't like the dialogue in this movie. I thought it was silly uh what else don't didn't i like i don't know man i just don't think it's very good i was just watching it and i was like i was like i'm kind of bored and this isn't a movie to be bored in like it's it's very fast it's edited really well but i was like the story isn't very interesting and uh the dialogue isn't good and i don't even like the characters that much in this it's like hey john ham's here that's cool he's pretty handsome <laughs> but like and, and then the ending is fucking goofy like the big like boss shootout with john ham there's so many things where it's like he he like d- jumps out of this car before it fucking blows up and it's just like oh cool and then you have this jail scene and uh i don't know I just I don't think Baby Driver is that good. I don't really like I get it kind of because of how well it's put together. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know if people if people should like this as much as they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Right? It's, it's a movie that like I've put out of my mind at this point. Uh, 
for me, it's kind of like La La Land in a way where it's like this movie that like just hit in this right way, kind of like in the social media age, in the age of like letterbox and stuff like that. And, and like where people tweet their feelings about movies and they all come together and they really like a movie all simultaneously. And they're just yeah. like, Oh, this movie is, this is the, the, the movie. This movie defines me. Blah, blah, blah. I think I remember like when I talked about it way back when, um, so just last summer, was it that, is that all it's been? I don't For remember. What? Baby yeah. Driver. Yeah, this has only been a year. Uh, Maybe two? I don't know. It feels like... Baby Driver come out? Yeah. 2017. Yeah, man. Wow. It was just last year. It's only been a year. Um, but I remember, like, being very self-conscious after watching this because I remember, like, essentially being dressed the same way as the lead in this in some ways. Like hoodie, jeans, and, like, uh, coming in with sunglasses in my hand and then having my headphones in and being like, yeah. oh, God. And I'm like, this is what people are relating mm-hmm. to. This is what they relate to in this movie is like uh, their life being narrated you know by, uh, well, I uh, by iPods, by uh, iTunes culture. Yeah, and I get that too. Uh, so that that just reminded me. Uh, my letterbox review is in the first five minutes of this movie, I was annoyed. Uh, I find I think this is the this is the feature length version of that scene in Spider-Man three yeah. <laughs> where evil Peter Parker is walking around snapping his fingers, like singing to people. He's like, Hey, how are you doing baby? Like that's what this fucking movie is. This whole movie is just that scene, just two hours worth. And that's annoying. <laughs> and I, I, I honestly think this movie is really going to fucking like dip hard in five years. When five years we watch this it's totally gonna flip and people aren't gonna like this movie in five yeah. years yeah especially since kevin spacey raped all those people <laughs> <laughs> i remember it's funny i remember i saw an interview right. with john burnfall uh who was like yeah kevin spacey made it a really toxic uh set but like he's in like two minutes of this movie i was like what were you on set for like a day was it that bad yeah. if it was that bad I, I wish someone said something. Oh, speaking of uh, heist-like movies, uh, you could have watched uh, Usual Suspects. I didn't like that movie. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I don't think that movie's aged well at all. No, no, um, I, I watched it for the first time like two, three years no, ago, no, maybe it, before. It, the, yeah, no, and it, I was I, just like, uh, uh-uh. Yeah, no, that movie I don't think has aged well at all. Um, but that movie used to be like, fuck, it was uh, like the baby driver, I think, of like the mid-90s. Uh, mm-hmm. People were like, oh, man. Kevin Spacey is such a genius. Have you watched, have you watched seven? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kind of goes from there and then American beauty, blah, blah, blah. And now rape. Rape. Exactly. But yeah. anyways, yeah. Anyway, I talked for a long time. I don't think did. baby driver is that good. <laughs> wow. But, uh, whatever. He, Do you have anything to he, talk about? He's good. Baby driver's not good. Yeah. I don't know. Hot takes. People we know like that movie, but Sizzle. I don't. That's fine. Yeah. I don't know. It's, um, uh, like I said, I think I had a feeling that you might have been, you could have gone either way on that one. Yeah. No, I don't think it's that good, man. I don't really know yeah. why. Uh, well, no, I, like I said, I get it, I guess. But. So, okay, for my creep and RJ, I like, have watched some of these movies and it, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, like, I don't, like, I, uh, yeah. Like, I watched, uh, like, again, I went crazy. I watched a lot of movies. So, mm. I, I'll, I'll finish up my 90s thriller talk. Um, last week, I, wa- I talked about Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. which meant I had to watch Poison Ivy 2. Uh, but it also meant I would have to watch Embrace of the Vampire uh, because it was same from, also Shit. starring Alyssa Milano, also a same director as Poison Ivy 2 and Gersh or Burger or something like that. Uh, these movies suck. 
Uh, they're exactly what I mm-hmm. always expected they'd be. Like even like when I was like twenty and like or like sixteen, and I was the target audience of like, you want to see Alyssa Milano? You want to see? <gasps> you want to see her boobs? Like, nice. isn't, isn't she pretty? Don't you want to see her naked and like simulate sex? And mm-hmm. I was like, well, who cares? The movies are not going to be very well made. Like they're not going to be good stories. They're going to be shitty. Like I was a weird kid. I, I wanted good movies. I don't care. Like this. Like it's not really pornography. It's just like boring fucking, as, as you would say, softcore mm. uh, <gasps> porn. As I would say. As you would say. Um, mm-hmm. And like I've seen people describe these movies as that. And I'm like, nah, nah, these aren't, not quite. Though Embrace of the Vampire is closer to that uh, Wynorski vibe. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even tell you what Embrace of the Vampire is about. It's just like another uh, movie that has like a, a tortured vampire in like the 90s who's like okay. lover died in like the f- 1400s maybe and mm-hmm. then like he's been cursed because he got attacked by like topless vampire chicks in the forest um and then he got turned into a vampire and now Alyssa Milano who looks like this girl uh she's alive and he wants her and it's just the whole process of of uh go entering her dreams and uh Getting her to come hot? over to his side. Uh, no, it's not hot. No, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. You know, it's weird. This sounds like the movie you said you were gonna make a long time ago. Yeah, about this dream sex lair with Alyssa Milano, star, yeah, star of Charmed. That's mm-hmm. like that's all. She, that's all Sammy ever really did. Is like these movies and like didn't really have much of an action career after that. Mm-hmm. Ah, whatever. Poison Ivy two. It's like. It's not even as good as Poison Ivy because Poison Ivy at least like was about like a bad girl trying to destroy a family. Poison Ivy too. It's like the character Lily. She's just like she's the poor hapless victim who's like, oh, bad things are happening around me. I'm going to art school, and um, my art teacher, played by Xander Berkeley, also in Heat, uh, and he's like a grade A class piece of shit in all the movies he's in which is great um he's just like a sad sack who's like i want to bang my student because i can't i'm not inspired to make paintings anymore and (laughs) is that that how it works yep and so it's like her like sleeping with like a guy her age who's like real built um like real real physique on this this tiger and like xander berkeley wanted a piece of that too uh, she's playing both sides. She doesn't know what she wants. Children finding their dad raping Alyssa Milano and running out Jesus. into tr- literally into traffic and being run down. Um, this this movie is these chaunts. These movies are chaunts, RJ. Thumbs down. Um, it really made me question my choices in life, what I was doing. So well, this is what made you question choices. So, I, I feel real bad about yeah. what your last thirty years have been, man. Uh, yeah. So then, uh, what else did I get here into? I got into Disclosure with Michael Ooh. Douglas, Demi Moore, based on the novel by Michael Crichton. You might have heard of him. Nice. He likes dinosaurs and the, the guy uh, who did cl- Congo did not, and climate change denial. Um, oh no. Yeah. So anyway, uh, are you familiar with Disclosure? I, mean, I know Congo. Well. This movie came out, I guess, when you were five uh, years old. Yeah, but he came out when I was five, too. And that only took me fucking 20-some yeah, years well, to watch. You know, yeah, exactly. So, well, Heat is a better movie than Disclosure. but uh, Is it, though? Yes. Um, oh, okay. So this is a movie about a guy, uh, Michael Douglas. He, he usually finds himself in these movies where, like, 
women are like trying to fuck him over but he's also a slime bag at the same time kinda in this like he's like supposed to be less of a slime bag but there's something about michael douglas's persona that just exudes like oh i can't i can't believe anything this guy says he's just like mm-hmm. he's a slime bucket maybe it's the game that's like permanently painted that into my mind and there's like that movie a perfect murder where it's just like he's always got that slick back hair and mm-hmm. i don't know his dad seems like such a good dude and still alive rj for real though still um mm. so yeah disclosure is demi moore gets a job that michael douglas is trying to get because donald sutherland is a maniacal man uh dylan baker famed pedophile from happiness he's like <sighs> you know you can't trust him but uh here mm-hmm. we are kurt connors himself uh, yeah the lizard <laughs> the lizard from spider-man 3 yeah and all, all yep. this all the spider-mans he's kurt connors from in all three spider-man of them. 3 yeah Okay. Oh, see, it's all coming full circle. This Spider-Man three talk. Uh, there you go. So what happens is because like so, Debbie Moore was like an old flame of uh, Michael Douglas's, and um, she like gets the job, and she decides I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck this guy because I still got feelings for him. I'm like I have like a, a man's drive, and then I also have a man's sex drive. So I want I can also victimize men because I'm so horny even though I'm a woman and now I'm going to say that he assaulted me. And then we're just going to be like a long like period of like arbitration that takes place. It's like this movie takes place over a course of a week, but we get like a whole like uh, sexual harassment suit, a counter sexual harassment suit, uh, three days of like arbitration, it being resolved with the, and then we get to the actual like climax of the movie. And it's like takes place over the course of five days. It's a strange, strange film as far as uh, pacing goes. Uh, it's good. It's good. It's got a charm to it. It's kind of what I was chasing when I'm watching these uh, '90s thrillers, these movies that my parents watched that I couldn't watch when I was a kid. Uh, it's got mm-hmm. um, Michael Douglas going into a VR world and there's scanners and oh. stuff like that. It's like it's very exciting. Is it like arcade? I haven't seen arcade yet. Is it like arcade though? Like arcade. No, okay. I don't think right. so. Okay. Nice. Uh, but yeah, it's very uh, of the era. And um, anyway, Disclosure is okay. If, if you're looking to like scratch that mm-hmm. itch, uh, this is fine. Uh, I also then watched Presumed Innocent. Um, so, that sounds sexy. Yeah. So this is directed by Alan Pakula, director of such classics as All the President's mm-hmm. Men and Clute. Those seventies uh, thrillers that people like. This is a kind of it's more of a just like a procedural courtroom drama starring Harrison Ford, who is mm-hmm. a working in the district attorney's office. One of the other attorneys working in the office is murdered, and he is basically he's he's chosen to investigate it, even though uh, unbeknownst to most people, he had a relationship with her, and uh, he could very well be a prime suspect. Uh, even though he's not really, but people start thinking he is because there's like a vote going on for who's going to be the new DA and Brian Dennehy's there. Sounds political. It's very political. Uh, well-made movie. Uh, Harrison Ford is fine. Uh, I, I, I've been critical of him in the past. He's like no better or different than usual, but Ola uh, Gomez Adams shows up in this. And Raul oh, M, Julia? M, M, M. Bison, uh, he's awesome. Raul he, Julia? He, he is so fucking good in this movie. 
Uh, mm. I'd say check it out for him. If you're a big Raul Julia fan, this movie, he's I like, am. he's wonderful. He plays uh, Harrison Ford's uh, lawyer. He plays the defense attorney. Very good. Yeah. Uh, he's very, like every scene he's in, he steals. Um, but other than that, I don't know, like, I don't want to go too much into it because part of the, just watching the movie is like decent. It's well made. Like, uh, Alan Pakula obviously is a pretty talented director. There's this thing that's going on with these 90s thrillers where it's like big name directors. Like, there's the one I haven't watched yet, uh, Roman Polanski's Bitter Moon. So, like, you have all these like big directors from the 70s who are trying to, like, I guess maybe stay relevant and keeping being able to keep making movies in the 90s. And that means making thrillers because that's what's selling and like they're dramas, but they're also like commercial. And all these guys are slumming it in this like late 80s, 90s period. So, you have these big name directors making garbage essentially um but they're like well-made pieces of garbage and sometimes that's all you ask uh in this life i mean i could watch well-made piece of garbage yeah exactly Hmm. enriching interesting if true yeah uh i also watched the movie called the hot spot stars don johnson and jennifer connelly and a a slew Hmm. of character actor types uh, this is a movie that like starts off pretty strong. It's got that like kind of like White Sands. The first like twenty odd minutes or so are like really good, and you're like kind of like, oh man, if this movie holds out like, with this pace and this feel, mm-hmm. like this is like a secret like classic that no one talks about. But then the rest of the movie plays out, and you realize, oh, that's why no one talks about this movie because it just goes on and on and isn't like uh, winning. It doesn't have the winning formula to like really differentiate itself from this like mm-hmm. slog of like neo-noir movie set in like southern towns where everyone's doing accents and all the women are hot and hot to trot as well um yeah you get to see some naked jennifer connelly uh you fucking pervert oh yes her and her eyebrows uh on Mm. full display unbelievable and oh what's about raul julia's eyebrows he had pretty good eyebrows uh yeah he's but he doesn't get he doesn't he doesn't go sunbathing didn't he though? <laughs> he didn't. Oh, whoops. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. We gotta gotta find what's her name. Virginia Madsen. She's also in this. Oh yeah. Shit. I know Virginia Madsen. Yeah. From old Candyman. Candyman. That's right. Number uh, twenty three. One of your favorite movies. Sideways. The oh the go. the prophecy, which I've been thinking about rewatching maybe for this Halloween. Is that oh. the Christopher Nolan or Christopher, Christopher Walken? Walken? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, Are you going to watch man. all nine of them? Shit, I should, I should watch uh, Gotham starring Tommy Lee Jones and Virginia Madsen. Mm, that might be a little too F- sexy. Floyd Fonville, his only movie. Ugh. A New York private eye searches for a socialite who supposedly drowned 10 years before. That sounds noir-y. I've I, um, I've seen yes. I've seen that uh, I'm pretty sure over at uh, King of Trade uh, for like four dollars. Um, so yeah, Hot Spots like it's got Deep Throat. He's a uh, he's he's a guy in here. Um, it's got a uh, Frank Darabont's dude. Oh, what's his name? Uh, William Sandler. Sadler. He's in there. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. That guy. He's a scumbag. Everyone, every, every, yeah. What's that? A hot one. Hot one. Yeah, Hot Spots fine. Uh, Narrow Margin, starring Gene Hackman. Uh, this movie is about uh, J.T. Walsh robbing money from the mafia, getting killed while on a blind date. His blind date flees Los Angeles, heads to Canada. Gene Hackman is a 
working for the district attorney as well. And he's got this lead about bringing down this mafia guy that killed this person. And there's a witness. So he travels all the way to Canada to like actually uh, Alberta uh, pretty well. What? Uh, yeah. Lake, Lake, de, Lake de Arc, which is just like on highway one uh, on your, on your way mm. to Banff. Uh, that's where the movie kind of like, oh, it's ridiculous. It's like uh, he shows up on with a, in a helicopter to this cabin that this woman's staying at. <laughs> uh, another helicopter shows up out of nowhere with these mob guys with like, like, uh, like assault weapons and they just start shooting away. M. Emmett Walsh, his partner gets killed. So him and this lady, they're on the run. They hit the via rail, uh, there at the right near the border of Alberta and BC, they board that train and then the bad guys land their helicopter somehow. They get on board that train and then it's like it, it turns into a remake of the 1952 movie, The Narrow Margin, in a little in little ways, but it's very different. Like I totally kind of forgot it was a remake until there's like one line about like the giant fat guy saying, "Oh, no one loves a fat man, but is." Uh, but his grocer and his tailor. And uh, I was like, oh, right. This is a remake of that Narrow Margin movie that's actually quite good. Uh, this movie is, nah, nothing special. I like that Gene Hackman, but it's like, he's got to be in his like late 50s and he's like walking across trains and like doing all sorts of highfalutin things that like, you know, I know how I feel right now. And I'm like 20 years younger than him would have been in this movie. And there's no way I'd be fucking doing any of the shit that he's doing. Uh, it's so it's a it's a kind of a ridiculous little movie. Uh, it's like why is, why why do we cast Gene Hackman in it? Who's this age? Oh right, because he's a star, and people will go see it because it's got a star. I understand. Um, Was it as good as Welcome to Mooseport? I, I I don't know, RJ. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. This is definitely on the bottom half of the Gene Hackman oeuvre. Oof. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so concluding the '90s thrillers, I rewatched Bound. What's that about? Have you ever seen Bound at all? I don't think so. So this, so this is a Wachowski's movie. This is their no. first feature. This is their first feature film. No, no. Uh, I've never seen that. So this movie stars Gina Gershon and uh, Jennifer Tilly and Joey Pants. Joey Pantione. Uh, Who's Joey Pants? Joey Pants. Uh, Ralph from, from The Matrix? Uh, Sopranos and The Matrix. And uh, yeah. Lenny from Memento. I know Joey Pants. Yeah. So he's awesome. He's so good in this movie. He's basically just playing like a Joe Pesci type of character in this. But uh, so this is a movie about <sighs> Gina Gershon is uh, out of jail and she's kind of doing like work, kind of like being a caretaker, doing like a cleanup job at an apartment while the regular guys are out of town. And she's doing it in an apartment. Next door, Jennifer Tilly is living with a gangster named Joey mm-hmm. Pants. Uh, and there's like sort of like a. A lesbian thing going on some real hot to trot action uh, don't. some some sexual uh don't. vibes going on between these two ladies Come on, so man. so this is like 1996 this is very saucy uh because you mean junior gershaw is basically playing the role that like uh in a movie from like 10 years earlier we're just been played by a guy and no one would blink an eye so and this movie just treats it as like oh hey it's a queer relationship and it's like done pretty like oh neat that's like pretty like different I guess for this movie and it's just like it's not a big deal it's just sort of there it plays mm-hmm. a little bit into the plot because like no one would assume two women would ever be attracted to one another <laughs> that would be crazy that's crazy dude yeah so uh, this movie like I when I first saw this movie back in the day this movie like fucking blew my mind like I thought this movie was fucking amazing and I think like it had a big rep back when that like it was like this really like, like Matrix came out 
that movie like changed the game at the time. I have no idea how The Matrix holds up now. Uh, watching Bound, I have a feeling mm-hmm. that some of the visual virtuoso stuff, the real fancy stuff, probably looks real uh, quaint now and like overdone. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, for the time, this movie was like pretty fancy when you compare it to like the 90s thriller stuff that I'd been watching up to this point. They all are very like pedestrian. This has like a little bit of a like. Uh, glitziness like cameras panning down looking down from above panning down through a closet big extreme close-ups as you move past things uh Mm -hmm. movies started getting made like this all the time within the next five years and so and they look like junk this movie is borderline i mean you have to realize that movies didn't really quite look like this just yet um it's like what did they look like like they looked like uh disclosure (laughs) uh it just looks like a movie uh bound like has a like it, it has a way smaller budget than I mean, the, which Huskies would wind up having later on. Yeah, but uh, there's where was I going with that? Before you interrupted me, asking me about what other movies look like. Uh, there's this move. There's a point in this movie where it's like it just is like oh, it's a movie about watching two women getting it on, grinding their heels into the mattress, popping the sheet off the corner because they're real hot and into one another. And uh, they're really into one another. And then it turns into, like, the gangster movie. And that's when I think the, the plot kind of gets interesting uh, because it's all about – it's kind of a heist movie, which is kind of why I watched it too. It's about cheating people out of the money, trying to get the other person to think that they've mm-hmm. stolen the money and trying to outthink one another. But people actually have minds of their own and react in a unique way that isn't just serving the plot, which is, like, mm-hmm. uh, a fresh change. Like, people just don't. And that's, like, oh, comes uh, Joe Pantione. He's so good in this. He carries this movie for me. Because um, he's just, like, mm-hmm. uh, for me, like, when I think back, I'm like, he hasn't really had, like, those big breakout roles since, like, this window of time. Uh, he's always, like, a background guy. He had that run in uh, Sopranos um, and stuff like that. But ever since then, because that's, like, a decade and a bit ago, I mean, what else has Joey been up to? Was he in Welcome to Mooseport? I don't, I don't believe so. Hmm. Well, I don't know, man. I mean, he was in The Matrix. Yes. He was. You know what's weird? So he's in The Matrix and Memento. His third uh, credited movie is Bound. Yeah. I feel like he has a more popular movie than that. Or is that movie really popular? Um. Probably. Bad Boys Two. Yes, yeah, he's yeah, he's the uh, the stupid chief in the Bad Boys movies. Oh, cats and dogs, mm. easily, easily, easily. I don't know. I'll look through his movies. You keep yeah. talking. Uh, so yeah, nope. So watching it again now, though, like there's things where it's like, nah, it, it this isn't like as groundbreaking now. It doesn't feel as like swell. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes when you like when you, when you say watch Heat uh, from around the same era, you go, man, this movie's so good. And then now you watch Bound, you're like, this movie's fine it's good it's like above average but um it doesn't have that magic that it once had for me which is too kind of a bummer but okay so i i'm a total idiot we missed the biggest joey pants movie ever which one from the year 2000 wwf wcw endorsed ready to rumble oh it's just wcw endorsement just wcw as titus sinclair the vince mcmahon style promoter wow uh that movie is really good and i can't (laughs) wait until we talk about it uh what is it spine 800 uh yeah yeah sure one day yeah right there with fantastic mr oh he's in congo too (laughs) there you go and look at all this overlap what's, what's he in nowadays though nothing 
Wow. Well, I, well, he's in. No, he's got a bunch of stuff from 2017, 2018. Maybe, maybe he's doing TV and stuff. Uh, maybe he was in SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> as a guy named Sticky Fins. So there you go, buddy. He's in a couple TV things, but he's in movies. He's in a movie called Brawler coming out soon, starring uh, Whoa. isn't? Wait a minute, no one. No one. Oh, it's something we I'm thinking of. He's in a movie called Feast of Seven Fishes, starring no one. He's in a movie called Short Straw, starring him. Jesus. Uh-oh. And he's in a movie called The Winemaker's Son, starring Richard Dreyfus. What happened to him? What, like... Who, Richard Dreyfus? No. Well, I think Richard Joey. Dreyfus just got old, dude. Man. But he's in a lot of movies. He's in more movies than Joey Pantaleone. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, and his movies. Jeez. Oh, fuck. He was in Daredevil. Yes, he was. Ben. Yeah, but- oh, and Ventures of Pluto Nash. Fuck. Ready to Rumble is the big one. That's a good show. Poor, poor guy. People should watch that show. It's garbage. Right, anyways, get back to your creeps. Anyway, yeah. Enough Jesus Joey Pantaleone talk. I watched a 70s thriller. The little girl who lives down the lane. Martin Sheen is a pedophile. And he's oh, so oh. creepy. And guess who he's lusting after? Kids, I a, guess. A young Jodie Foster. Oh, it would have been better if it was a young Joey Pantaleone. Maybe. Uh, mm. Yes, yeah, so this this movie is good. I liked it. Uh, very, it's very seventies. It feels like a TV movie. Uh, it stars the one kid who's in that movie, Bad Ronald, that people like to talk about in high regard as this really strange uh, TV movie about a kid who lives in walls. Uh, mm. I wish it was as good as it sounded. It's but uh, no, it's fine. But it's, yeah, Scott J- Jacoby. Uh, mm. Yeah, Jodie Foster is pretty good in this movie. Uh, Martin Sheen is like fantastic as a real creeper, a persistent creeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's about a girl who's like living on her own and having to convince people that her dad's upstairs writing, but he's not around anymore, nor is mm. her mother. And uh, yeah, it's just this movie that kind of has this like slow kind of 70s vibe to it. It's this uh is, this okay. is on my watch list for some reason. Well, you might have heard about it at some point or went, "Ooh, that sounds neat." Hmm. I think you would probably be not super interested in it on the whole. It's okay. I don't I to me it didn't make me go, "Dude, RJ's got to see this." <laughs> <laughs> that didn't mm-hmm. that didn't happen. I'm going to leave off. Uh, I'm not going to get into my Japanese movies that I started watching the other night. Uh, I'll, I'll save those for next week. Uh, okay. I, will, I will talk about uh, The Roaring Twenties from 1939. Uh, this is a mm-hmm. James Cagney number, uh, also with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie came to my attention because uh dude I follow on Letterboxd gave this five stars, said it's like this totally like not like not well talked about, but really good uh, gangster movie with Cagney because everyone always talks about White Heat. No one talks about that Roaring Twenties. And then, of course, I realized, hey, I've got that Roaring Twenties on that Prohibition Era DVD set I've got. So I checked it out. And yeah, this movie is like pretty good. Pretty How good? S- pretty slick good. Um, mm. I don't know like, if you like God, if you like those James Cagneys and those Humphrey Bogarts, this movie, like, those guys get to just do their thing, uh, talk wise, uh, like that kind of like if these if people try to talk like this now in a movie like it would suck but like when you're watching these movies it totally works because it's just the time and place for it 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was more like my biggest t- walk uh, takeaway with from this movie now is just like how like fucking weird the humor is like the the gallows humor i guess you could call it mm-hmm. uh there's a bit so it starts off in world war one because it's kind of like introducing these characters how they get to know one another and before they turn into uh prohibition era gangsters and they they were enlisted men in world war one um james cagney happens to fall into a foxhole with uh humphrey bogart which they start going ah how do you keep falling in my hole <laughs> And it's like, oh yeah, you. people uh, just just talking about it while they're like under gunfire. Because nowadays, if you depict war, everyone's like shell shocked and fucked up. And of course, mm-hmm. in the 1939, everyone's like uh, Howard Hawks film and making jokes and uh, saying, ah, oh, well, if we get out of here, I'm going to slip into a nice hot bath. <laughs> uh, so this movie, mm-hmm. they're standing around, uh, they're sniping people off, and there's one guy's like, oh. Yeah, this guy I'm seeing here in my scope, he's only 15 years old. Humphrey Bogart picks up his rifle. Bang. Well, he's not going to see 16. And I just went, Jesus. <laughs> like, fuck me. That's cold. Mm. <laughs> uh, and Humphrey. Yeah. And then later on, there's like kind of like this ongoing thing of like the passage of time. And there's a narrator saying, the times were blowing and, uh, you know, money was flying. Men were out of work. Uh the alcohol was flowing into like wine, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and like there's like a montage of like college kids getting drunk and drinking, like having their hip flasks and driving, and then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, they're drunk driving, and then soon enough, a, tr- a car just goes careening off the road and smashes into a tree, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I just was not expecting that in this like nice little Warner Brothers gangster movie, I guess, and it's just like fuck, because like then later on, there's like guards at like factories getting hit over the head with like guns in the most like PG even like G rated sort of way where you're like ah yeah that's exactly what happens guys just get hit over the head in the shadows and they're just out there's no like savage beating needed and I kept thinking Mm -hmm. like because of the precedent of this movie like oh it's gonna get dark but it's like no it's pretty straightforward but this is Mm -hmm. a good it's a good ride if you like those uh you want to, if you're like watching 30s gangster movies, which I know you are, RJ, uh, this one should definitely be yeah. on your radar as well. I mean, once you've gotten through your white heats and whatnot. I'm always watching 30s gangster movies. I don't know where you got your information, <laughs> but uh, you're wrong. I see. So uh, take that, sucker. Yep. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, well, that's it for my creeping. Hey, RJ, you, you, got, any, you got any news? Fuck no. Actually... Uh, Roseanne got fired, and the only reason oh, I brought, bring it up is um, uh, that sucks for her uh, that she's so silly and says dumb stuff. But uh, real I bring it up because in previous episodes I talked about my love of Roseanne, and I feel like if if listen to now, it may set the wrong idea that I am still on board with Roseanne. <laughs> I'm not. Well, uh, lis- listener listen and listener episodes. and patron of our show, uh, uh-huh. Lawrence, he had to he he was asking me, uh, well, what is how does what is RJ going to weigh in on this controversy? Uh, the old Roseanne will always be be with me. I have that on DVD, but uh, I don't know, man. Chick's a little out there. It's a little out there for me. Well, I'm, R- I think yeah. I'm going to tune out. To quote RJ said, or uh, Lawrence said, poor RJ must be crushed by the whole fiasco. Yeah, it kind of sucks. It's uh, it's like that don't meet your heroes thing, right? Because uh, <laughs> don't stay offline. Like don't, don't go on yeah. the internet. 
don't especially if you're or whatever her excuse um ambient she <laughs> yeah see that's why i'm bummed out man i like roseanne i just wish she wasn't dumb saying which is like all our heroes stupid shit hey hey you want to get a pizza later uh sure um my news uh not that it means anything but what, what do you think about all these hot takes the things that people are trying to take away from the uh, lack of success of making like still like 85 million dollars that solo a star wars story made uh, i don't know man i care so little it's just you, like uh, you sent me one uh particular screen cap of something about like is is America finished with movies about white male protagonists or something like that? Yeah, and... I don't th- like. I don't think that's it. I think it's just people are like, we don't care anymore about. It's like we don't need a Star Wars movie every year forever, or which t- is what the executive said once. Two a year, two a year. Like that's what that one guy said. Like when DC bought it, is like we're gonna put out a Star Wars movie every year forever. And it's like, is that a good idea? Yeah. It's the same with the Marvel stuff. It's just like, come on, enough. But there, but that that seems to be enough working. already. That seems to be working okay. But we'll we'll see. We'll see what I happens know. when that uh, that new uh, Ant Man Wasp movie comes out. Because there's like the question of like, do does the world need another Marvel movie after Infinity War? Because it's like, until that's wrapped up, no one cares. They could just end it there, and that would be cool. I've seen a lot of people like I've seen people who like aren't comic people who are like just moviegoers, and they're like, "I really mm-hmm. like it. It's too bad they're making more still." <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like with the comics. It's like, oh man, I really like that Watchmen. It's too bad they kept making comics. Like, it's like, no, it's an industry. It's like they're gonna keep making yeah. these things. They're gonna hit the restart button, and then it's it's actually interesting now that I'm thinking about it out loud because." I guess people haven't, if they have never read a comic book, this is mm-hmm. like, whoa, I can't wait to see what happens next. It's like, well, what happens next is the toys get put back in the toy box and we start over again. And it's going to be the same thing again. And then mm-hmm. people, at that point, do people go, oh, well, I don't really care anymore. Like it was kind of cool at one point, but unless you can like really step up what you're doing with those movies, mm-hmm. why, why do you want that? And so with Solo, like I was mentioning to people, because like I really, I didn't realize who the directors were who were connected to making Solo before they got removed. And yeah, was, Lord and Miller. Yeah, I, I didn't know who they were, honestly. I was just like, oh, their yeah. names. I'm like, oh, they're Claudia Facenza Meatballs in the Lego movie in 21 Jump Street. Yeah. And it's like, so they were really going to probably make a very different type of movie. And, of course, when I mentioned that to some uh, buddy yesterday, they were like, oh, I'm kind of glad they didn't make it that way then. And I'm like, well, they're eventually going to have to make different types of movies. I mean, mm-hmm. with the with the superhero stuff, like the Marvel stuff, they've had to start like bringing in different styles of movies. Like they like they're adopting genres into mm-hmm. like the superhero format and like telling different styles of stories within that. And because you kind of have to do that, because otherwise it's just like they they only know one story origin story bad guy massive energy device being detonated in new york mm-hmm. city uh and then they and that's going to transmorph people <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it's like that's what they know otherwise like, they have no other ideas and it's like well that's great i mean westerns evolved i mean there was originally like only a handful of variations of westerns and then they kind of like spruced it up and came up with different variations i mean the particular strain of western that i always respond well to are like revenge narratives like they're always like stronger they just lend themselves to that and i mean 
if this superhero shit continues or these Star Wars movies keep coming out, it's like, well, we could tell those same types of stories in those worlds, just like variations of it, like different versions mm-hmm. and hit something that's interesting along the way. Um, I don't know. Interesting. If true. No, I was going to say that's not what they're going for. Yeah. But interesting if true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, dude. It's like, uh, what are you going to do? Nothing. Am I right? Nothing. What are you going to do? That's it. That's all I need to say. I don't see these. I don't watch those movies anymore anyway. Like, I will not be seeing, I don't think, another Star Wars movie. I mean, so this is a thing that's come up too lately. Um, so at the comic store, being in the, the, the heat of things, people go see these movies. And they, have, they often mm-hmm. ask, what's your opinion on that? Have you seen that yet? And I'm always like, oh, I haven't seen it yet. I can always say that. It's my fallback. I used to always get, what, you haven't seen that yet? But now it's understandable not to have seen things yet because there's so many of these movies to see. So it's like you can really just pick and choose to see them or just choose not to watch them at all because most people aren't going to remember, hmm, that one guy at the comic book store, he hasn't watched that movie yet. What's wrong with him? But back mm-hmm. in the day of those Transformers movies being asked like constantly for like a, like for weeks, hey, have you seen the new Transformers yet? It's like, why? Why would I see that? I watch real movies, motherfuckers. I don't watch fucking Michael Bay movies. Um, Particularly ones about giant robots that I have no connection to at all. Robots? Yep. Uh, But these guys were like, I don't know. uh, People who who don't like Last Jedi, it seems to be a very popular stance to not like Last Jedi anymore. Even though that Mm -hmm. movie still made like... 600 plus million dollars so it's like people went to it just didn't see it as much as force awakens but people the way they talk about why they don't like it i'm like these feel like different reasons from what i think the problems with that movie are where it's just like i feel like this is just like the prequels but those guys are like well you know you you know the prequels they had at least there's some ideas behind them and i go what are you talking about (laughs) like what do you mean Uh, i think i think that they did have a I think people's opinions of those have been clouded by popular internet videos and uh, Reddit memes, which is like altering their memory of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, so, because at one point the prequels are kind of a disappointment and then Red Uh Letter Media comes along and they lay out why these movies are just failures. And it's like, yeah, they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and then Red Letter Media continues existing and turns into its like bigger project, and it turns out, oh, they just like movies like everybody else does, and they they'll, they'll forgive shit like that all the time, mm-hmm. but that's fine. Um, and then uh, I don't know. Now it's like come back around where people are, you know, I think maybe the prequels have some interesting things. It's like, no, they don't. They're bad. No. They're bad movies. Mm-hmm. Anyways, 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 let's go break in and steal some shit. Huh? Let's go break some, let's go steal stuff. Huh? After the break, uh, we're going to travel to France and make a movie. No, that's what Jules Dassin did. Cause Ooh. he was a goddamn communist. Ooh. After the break. Cut loose. We're headed down 
forgotten. Tony, don't. Hey, watch your spine. Easy now. Hey, Bella Wake up, dog. I want you to be afraid. How does it feel? This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about Rafifi from 1955, directed by Jules Dassin. The synopsis of the film from Letterboxd, Out of prison after a five-year stretch, jewel thief Tony turns down a quick job his friend Joe offers him until he discovers that his old girlfriend, Mado, has become the lover of local gangster Pierre Gruter during Tony's absence. Expanding a minor smash-and-grab into a full-scale jewel heist, Tony and his crew appear to get away clean, but their actions after the job is completed uh, threaten the lives of everyone involved. So, this movie, RJ, I'd never seen before. Really? Never. Never, I ever. just assumed you had seen. Yeah, so this is this. this has been on the radar for a long time. I've always wanted to see this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, the uh, original DVD poster, or I guess DVD cover art for this, like I thought, was always so cool. It's just like this stark yellow background with uh, uh, Tony in black and white on it. It's just Rafifi, and I was always like, 
when I looked at it, I always looked like, oh, it looks like Humphrey Bogart. Um, and I just said, no, like I didn't really know what it was about. And then I remember being like, oh, it's like a jewel heist movie. Oh, it's mm-hmm. on Ebert's great films list. Oh, it's Criterion. But I never really watched it. Uh, it got re-released on Blu-ray some couple years ago. I don't like that poster art as much at all. It's like the blue one with like the cartoony hand plucking a diamond. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But it's always like one of those movies. I thought it was... Um, Oh God! There's the one French director that's like really well represented in the Criterion Collection. He directs his movies like uh, Le Circle Rouge and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I always thought he directed this. I didn't realize it was uh, Jules Dassin, or I always forget that it is. So Jules Dassin, the director, he's an American uh, who had to go to France to make movies still because he got on the blacklist. Uh, what did he do? Uh, well, he got uh, named during that Huac. Uh, McCarthy mm. anti-communist era 50s stuff going down in Hollywood um, where he wouldn't be able to work. Uh, actually, Dawson's got about five movies in total, I think, in the Criterion Collection. And this is like the last of that like five film list. We'll, we'll get to all those movies eventually. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's a pretty well-regarded uh, noir dude. He makes those movies about grim men and grim lives doing bad things to get by. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's the sort of guy he is. Uh, one of my faves I think of his that I've liked is uh, Brute Force with Burt Lancaster. It's a prison movie. Uh, he's also mm-hmm. got Night in the City, which has got some good old-fashioned pro wrestling, some Greco-Roman wrestling stylings. Ooh, yeah. Is it oily? Ah, uh, no, I don't think oil is introduced. <sighs> it's got some big burly men slapping the shit out of each other in the back room, and there's lots of shadows being cast. It's been a while mm-hmm. since I've seen that, but yeah, just Jules Dassin guy. He's pretty cool. Movies like Thieves Highway and whatnot. So oh, this movie is nice. like kind of like the one that's always been on that radar. So I kind of went in kind of like thinking, yeah, this will be probably pretty good. I, I think it'll be like a pretty decent movie. And yeah, you know what, RJ? This movie's pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. it, it feels like uh, in the second half, this this like the second unit of Criterion movies, uh, 101 to 200. Uh, mm-hmm. we, it's been a weak showing compared to like the first 15 movies of the uh first hundred criterions it's this Mm -hmm. has definitely been a weaker offering but i think rafifi is like yeah this is a a real classic this is a a bona fide type of movie um and what makes it good for me i guess is i don't know there's such a confidence in the filmmaking the the cinematography black and white stuff looks great um the it's got all your kind of like tropes of the heist movie. You've got your kind mm-hmm. of down and out kind of like heist guy who's done a stint in jail. He's got to do one last job. He's got the young men, like he's got the mentorship mm-hmm. relationship going. Um, so we have that. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have that. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the, yeah. na- I'm trying to remember the name of the, his, the, the guy Stephanie's? with the son. Lots that's, that's, that's Tony, but then there's the uh, the young guy that he like did the he went to Mario. jail for Mario. No, is it not? Mar- no, Mario. Joe. Is it Joe? Yeah, it's Joe. Okay, so he's he's helping out. Yeah, so he's doing this whole yeah. thing with Joe. So you got that relationship, and we have like, of course, the uh, the Italian who ruins everything, uh, which is one of my mm-hmm. favorite ongoing themes uh, in the Criterion Collection of, uh-huh. of, 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 of just in cinema of shitty Italians. Shitty Italians. Yeah. Hey, we're not making this stuff up. It's just, it's right there. It's yeah. just Criterion loves bad Italian dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
uh, I started taking notes for this movie. Uh, yes. talking, I think my first note here was like the shadowy poker room. Uh, mm-hmm. and then we were cutting to the bright white domesticity of, uh, Joe's life. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then there just came up like a point fairly early on in this movie. Where I'm like, ah, I'm not going to take notes for this movie. I just actually want to watch this movie. Cause I've been wanting to watch it for like so many years. So I just mm-hmm. sat back and like, just watched the movie. And it was like, oh, this is like what watching movies for fun is like. I, I remember these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this movie just like blew on by for me. Um, yeah, I just like was like, yeah, this movie's really good. When it gets to that high stuff, it's like, yeah, this is like kind of the stuff that people have been talking about all these years. It's kind of like the high watermark and like the influence of the the silence uh, and like just pure storytelling of like having men doing a job. And like it doesn't, because of its, the way it's made, I feel mm-hmm. that uh, like initially you're kind of like, well, I don't really know if I care what at these characters accomplish their task or not but there's something about watching people doing something and you're like oh they better get away with this like because like you're watching the time wind down and you're like oh fuck they're running out of time fuck it's like they could they, they have to kind of walk away from this but fuck that'd be what a waste you can't like come back and continue because all mm-hmm. your work will be shown and you'll be like the idiots who didn't finish the job and you're like fuck i hope these guys get away with it and then they do and you're like shit yeah, they could just walk away. Everything's going to mm-hmm. be great. And then it's like, no, it's not great because the Italians. Th- there's like, there's more to come and oh shit. Mm-hmm. And these are bad dudes. And oh fuck, fuck, this movie's getting grim. Shit. These killed a woman. Shit. Mario's mm-hmm. dead. Oh fuck. People are just dying now. Oh, oh fuck. Oh fuck. Man, this movie's like, there's a kidnapped kid. It's like, this is the mm-hmm. type of man, the way things are going, this movie might kill a kid. But I don't, uh, we'll see. Oh, Jesus Christ. And then it's like, and then in the end, crime doesn't pay, just like heat. Um, mm. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think Rafifi earns its uh, its place in that sort of like, yeah, this is a this is a banger. But RJ, mm-hmm. what did you think of Rafifi? Well, Jer, uh, as you know, I was preparing for this. If anyone was listening in the preamble, I was watching a lot of heist films. I was getting ready for this Rafifi thing. Yeah, you watched uh, that. You watched that heat. You watched that heist. You watched some Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I watched some some Adam Sandler, ba- some Adam Sandler, some Baby Drivers. You know the lower end heist films. Uh, yeah, so I was getting ready, and uh, this is a movie that I have heard of also, not very much, but a little bit, and uh, I heard it was pretty good, and I went in there, and uh, I thought it was pretty good. I don't think it. For me, I don't think it was as great as I would have liked it to have been, uh, as great as it seems like everyone else seems to think, but I did think it was really good. This isn't like last week where I just totally shit on your fucking parade with that My Man Godfrey stuff, but uh, no, Rafifi, Rafifi, I think is good. It didn't blow my dick off. It's not Ninja Scroll. <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be my comparison for everything now. Um I thought uh, th- there's some some really like there's some really good things in this movie for different genres and then just filmmaking in general. Like so for the crime like heist film, I feel like this movie sets up a lot of standards that get copied a lot and to this point even because of how good they are. Like things like the recon for the scene. Yeah. Where it's like them doing the recon, doing all the like intel, looking into 
the surroundings, what they need to do. Get, getting There's the some, team together. Getting the team. Yeah. Well, so, okay, like, start there. Getting the team together. Okay. So one thing is like this, this is kind of taking a step back, but uh, yeah. I mean, just like a couple weeks ago, we watched Big Deal on Madonna Street, which yeah, came out yeah. like, what, two years later, three years later. Um, and it's like a parody of heist movies or it's like a comedy sure. version of it. So, I mean, all the elements, like they're, they're very similar movies. Uh, uh, where you Yeah, have, so exactly. You, it's got a lot of the, the standard stuff, like how you were saying. You got the old dog, the guy who's trying to get out of the game, but he needs one last score. And he has his mentor. And then you get the rest of the game, just a medley of or the rest of the gang, a medley of dudes. Like you have the sex pervert, the Italian, you have uh, the family guy uh, who is also a sex pervert, Mario, who may be Italian. We don't know. Uh, then you have the young guy with his family trying to get in, trying to make a score for his, to make things right for his kid. The, the, the Sam Rockwell, the Sam Rockwell of the group. Exactly. And then you have the old dog who's just trying to get out of things. Uh, so you get the game together and then you do the Intel, the recon, uh, where everyone has a role. And I think there's a cool scene where they're walking down the street and he's like, tell me, he's like, tell me every business, but don't look at them. And he's like, they're walking down the street and he's talking about each business and like when they open, what their like, uh, their patterns are and stuff like that. And I was like, that's neat. Uh, so you have those scenes with the recons and then you have the, the plan, which some movies show a little bit, like they show exactly what they're doing. Some movies show a little bit and then they try to like do the reveal on you later where it's like that's what the real plan was. We only showed you half of the plan. Uh, this movie, they don't show you all the plan, but I don't. they don't try to bait and switch you where it's like here's the plan. But then it actually changes later. They don't do that. They're just like you see parts of what their plan is like them trying to figure out certain elements of the the heist so here's here's a question i'm going to throw at you so with these movies sometimes they do like they deploy the execution of the plan in two different ways sometimes Mm -hmm. they tell you what the plan's going to be and then they kind of like do like flash forwards to the plan actually being executed as they say as they say it and then they basically skip over the actual uh suspense of showing you them executing it but and then sometimes they show you what's going to happen in an ideal situation and then you see you get two versions of what's going to happen you get the uh perfect version mm-hmm. of the plan and then you get the what actually happens right. uh do you have a preference at this point of what Just, of what your preference of what what you prefer to see in a movie my preference is that they do it well just, so, just do it i think both are good just do it good i guess like but i mean narratively what do you find more satisfying um, I think it's a toss-up, right? Like, cause there, there's the one where, I don't know. I think both are satisfying. Where, like, when they're describing it and it's going off, and you're just like, yeah, this is nice. Like, it's really flowing well. And then there's there's a joy and 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 an excitement mm-hmm. when you see it not going the way it's supposed to, too. Yeah. Because it's kind of surprising. So I don't know. I like both methods. It's just, I guess, as long as they. Uh, they don't phone it in. So that's a that's a cop out right there. That that's a pretty cowardly and response. Them's the Brits, buddy. See, what's your what's your preference then? I think sometimes like I'm not sure if there's a if you want to keep things clear to your film to your audience, you mm-hmm. want to lay out what the goal is. So then when the audience is watching it, they know what's going to happen. Like they understand like the walkthrough because sometimes you get there's like the two attempts. There's like their walkthrough. 
And then there's like, I, I think of like Reservoir Dogs. Like there's sure. a movie that like doesn't even show you the robbery. Like it doesn't actually show you the heist. All you know is that you get these brief little glimmers of it and you know it went wrong. You get the buildup, you get the casing, mm-hmm. but it's all about the character interactions and like the fallout. And again, it's more further like character driven. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. like, that movie has got a very different goal. It's not about like showing you like the painstaking research of like, this is how bank heists actually get played out. Um, there's like, oh, there's so many things. I mean, within the heist genre, I mean, there's these types where it's like about people going through walls, which is like its own grouping. And then there's like bank robbery movies. And I see that people don't really differentiate between those. Like right now, as a matter of fact, Letterboxd has that like compiling of lists of like, what are the best heist movies? And the mm-hmm. types of movies that people list, it's like all over the map. Like um, a bank robbery movie like uh, Dog Day Afternoon or Rafifi, I feel fit in a different category from... Uh, something like this or like Ocean's Eleven. Like they're mm-hmm. like, these are just different types of movies because there's like the way that, it, yeah, there's a team assembled and they have a goal, but the a bank robbery just plays differently because usually it's right. like people know they're being robbed with there's a bank robbery. The idea of a heist yeah. is that you're doing it with, you're doing it without being caught while doing it, I guess. Because mm-hmm. um, in a bank robbery, you're caught as soon as you commit the crime but you don't want to actually be arrested, I guess. Like people know mm-hmm. you're doing it. Yeah. So it's like, it's a different thing. And I guess I didn't think about it until I articulated it. So it's helpful for me to talk these things out loud. Um, so what I'm getting at then, RJ, is again, yeah, you're right mm-hmm. that it comes down to the telling, I guess, of like mm-hmm. what the goals are. But I'm trying to think of like what movies I've liked the most that have executed the the layout. And I well, think Ocean's 12 and Norbit, I think you were saying were your favorite heist films. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I've, I've never, I'm not a fan of those Ocean's 11 movies, those Ocean's things. And I, and I think okay. I do, and I do believe we have an Ocean's 10 <laughs> coming or some shit. No, it's Ocean's 8. Ah, there you it's go. It's got my girl Kate Blanchett in it. Get it right. Oh my God. What a waste of her. Well, I don't know. Sandy Bullock is in there. Oh. Uh, who else is in that? There's a lot of fucking ladies in that thing. Eight, eight of them, even. There's eight of them. Mindy Kaling is in there. There's, uh, <laughs> you know, there's See, more people. And just to be clear to people, I'm not objecting to this movie because it's like, oh, it's SJW females. It's like, no, it's going to be because it's like, it's going to have a shitty script, probably not be funny. That's what always happens. Well, Gary Ross directed it. He did Pleasantville and Seabiscuit wow. and Free State of Jones. Oh, boy. And The Hunger Games. So he directed one good movie. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, one good movie. Uh, Anne Hathaway's in there. Helen Bonham Carter. Rihanna Sarah Paulson. Oh, man. Yeah, Dakota know. Fanning. Man, Matt Damon, hey, if it's, apparently. If it's got a great script, can't like awesome. But like usually these movies have well, bad scripts. Gary Ross wrote it, and he wrote those movies I named, but also Big, featuring Mr. Tom Hanks. And Olivia Milch wrote it, who only has one other credit, and it's a movie named Dude. Whoa. Uh, which I've never heard of. So that uh, derailment aside, continue yeah. wherever you were at, talking about the tropes of the heist. Uh, Yeah, like tropes, you know, just the standard practices, right? So you get the crew set up, you show the plan. The way this movie does it is they show you how they uh, intend to execute certain parts of the plan, but they don't show you everything. So they show you how they're going to – you're along with the ride while they learn how to disarm 
the alarm system. And that's like a big part of the plan because everything else, you don't see anything else. All you're, all you're there for is learn as they figure out how to do the alarms, which is cool. So you have the plan and then you have, I think, the break point where before you're actually doing the execution, you have the point where there's like characters kind of doing their own things. And most of the time, I think it's to set up uh, the turn later when you have a character, a character make the, pl- or make everything go south. So in this one, you kind of have where it's like the guys are at the club and uh, the creepy Italian dude, Italian dude is really into that, that lady and they see the Rafifi song and dance. Mm-hmm. And so you have that and it's like an, a break in between stuff. And then you get to the heist. And uh, that puppy goes like clockwork. This movie's uh, pretty special because it's all silent. Yeah. Uh, which is as if you listen to the first part of the show, you'll find that's what I think the best part of some of these heist movies are. Like Heat, the sound in that movie, which was so, so good because it was just natural ambient sound, uh, kind of like in this movie. So you don't think that uh, the movie, this like the whole sequence would be improved with some like Arctic monkeys maybe playing over it? <laughs> it's just like it's so stupid. And that's why I liked Heat so much is because like those scenes, it's like that's just the actual sound of what's going on there. You don't need this soundtrack and this score of like music going on top of it because – because that's all you're paying attention to then is the music it's so what you're showing doesn't really matter unless it's like in tune with the music which is like cool i guess but if that's all you got there that's not much like anyways so you have they go into the heist and uh it's like you said it's kind of a cool like tense sequence because you have the clock going, you have the no sound going, and it's a really it's like what, like 15 20 minutes of the heist where it's like silent basically. Right. The whole movie. And uh, they have some really unique stuff like in that uh the the whole heist like the umbrella thing. That's super cool. Like what what a what a novel thing to have like this uh sound sensitive portion of the heist where they have to devise a way to uh limit like stuff falling on the floor so they like pop this umbrella down that's pretty cool i like that i also like seeing uh people of the team have a role that uh gets filled and then their job is kind of done like you have joe come in and just break the ground down and then when he's done he's just like fucking wiped he's like i'm tired man and he like sits on the couch and he drinks a bottle of champagne or wine or something like that Mm -hmm. Maybe it's fizzy bubble. Uh, who knows? So he sits there and then he's like wiped out. And then you have the next guy go to work. Uh, you have like the old guy come down to do the alarm. And then you have the next guy, like the safe cracker. Oh, like yeah. they all have their roles, right? And I, I like seeing that because there's so many times where it's like, yeah. it's like, why are you on the team? Well, you just, need to have yeah. a role. Well, just like, yeah, the whole intelligence too of like breaking down the alarm, like how they figure yeah. out how to do it. It's like so well done. And yep. it doesn't feel like it's filling time. You're just kind of like, oh, this is an interesting thing. This whole process of like how they would figure this out. Um, and I was just wondering like, man, the amount of time now to be like a, a thief, like a professional mm-hmm. robber. It's like, is this why people just like back up their pickup trucks, wrap cables around an ATM and pull it through a fucking wall? It's just like, fuck, I don't care. <laughs> I'll be on camera. I'll just wear a snowsuit. No one will find me. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Which we we never got into, but like disguises is a big thing I like in some of these heist things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like where I was talking about uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, that has my favorite, where it's just like the pantyhose on the face, right. and it's like the really squished face. George Kennedy looks awesome in that stuff. Yeah. But uh, there, uh, this disguises are cool. But anyways, back to Rafifi. So you have the actual heist, and then you have the getaway, which in this movie is pretty short. Uh, which is like what you were saying. You're like, oh shit, they got away with it. You know, but then you have to turn. Uh, 28 minutes is how long the uh, the heist goes for. Yeah, which is pretty where, amazing. Where, where the music completely drops out. Uh, which and apparently, the, whole, which yeah. apparently the composer uh, George Oric, uh, he wrote music for it, and he was like, yeah, no, it doesn't need this at all. Yeah, that's a good uh, good call. That'd, that'd be nice to yeah. No, it's so much better without. It's so yeah, much yeah. more special. So. Um, yeah, they get away, and then you have the turn where you have one guy just fucking blow it. And it's usually either because of a relationship he's in where he lets something go, or they're flaunting what they got, and someone catches wise, or I don't know, something like, you know, you get cocky, like this guy, uh, who is actually the director playing the uh, sexual pervert. I don't know if you saw that. I did not. Uh, yeah, that Jules Dassin plays Caesar, the uh, the guy who blows everything. So he's doing both. He's flaunting it and he's uh, trying to get in the relationship. So he gives that tart lady that he likes uh, the big ring and then the bad dudes find it. And then you have a different part, which is like an escape also showdown. And that's kind of the end of the movie. So like that's like those are pretty general things that happen in lots of different kinds of movies, not just heist movies, but other than like the actual heist thing, but like just the kind of way it flows out. But it all works really well, and uh, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm sure there's movies who movies that did it before this, but uh, I thought this was a pretty early example well, of doing it really well. So uh, the director I couldn't recall earlier, uh, Jean Pierre Melville. Uh, he yep. he's a uh, Criterion Future Creeper. Uh, he's got that Bob Le Flambeur, which is like mm. uh, same year uh, as uh, Rafifi, and they basically both kind of created the. Uh, the modern heist movie. So yep. just the way these movies were made. Uh, good old, uh, old Francois Truffaut himself, mm. uh, Mr. 400 Blows. He <laughs> says it's the best film noir he'd ever seen. Uh, he said it was based on the worst noir novel he'd ever read, which I guess tells you, uh, it goes back to your comment about like a well-told story um, yep. is more important than anything else. Because uh, you can take something that's like meh and then elevate it uh, by making a movie about it, I guess. What is Truffaut know though? That guy sucks. That guy. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So that's Rafifi. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was good. It didn't like wow me or anything. I'm I'm telling you, man. After all that puppet master shit, like I've really been in a slump with these Criterion movies. Like there just isn't anything that's been really blowing my dick off like Ninja Scroll. So I don't know. I I do think it is very good. I just. Uh, me personally, I don't, it didn't like wow me, but that doesn't that doesn't mean much. It's a very cool movie and it's very well done, and uh, I see why it's in the Criterion. It's it's good stuff. I also like you didn't have many notes. Uh, I did have the only note that sticks out to me that I think is relevant to mentioning is uh, Egon feeding a cat uh, because I think there's a scene where some dude looks like Egon from Ghostbusters and he's just petting a cat. And for some reason, I felt like that was important enough to write down. So, I don't know. You find it. <laughs> <I'd> actually, 
<laughs> you guys find it. I think it's what after they like make the rob and they uh, contact the people who are going to like uh, sell the jewels and give them their cut and stuff like that. I think they call one of those guys on the line and uh, Egon Spangler, Harold Ramis himself back from a uh, resurrection is in this old movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Rafifi's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know. Just thinking about the movie too. Now it's like, yeah, there's like all these like great little character moments. Like there's like the, um, yeah. the club owner, um, that, that horrible man with his like a uh, drugged out, yeah. uh, brother who's like a drug addict. And they have this like exchange that kind of pays off in this weird way where it's like, he's like trying to like be strong with his brother and be like, be firm and strict with them and saying, you're a fucking junkie. I'm going to take your junk. I'm going to lock it in this drawer. And his brother's like, yeah, fine, do whatever you want. And then later on, mm-hmm. you get the scene where he like comes back up into his office and he just finds his brother who's just like hacking away at the drawer trying to get in there. And he, mm-hmm. his brother looks up at him, sees him there, and he's just like, I don't care. And he just keeps needling away at the door. And you get the, like, the sad yeah. scene of him like sitting down at the desk, just staring at watching his brother going away. And then he just takes the keys and just throws them on the table. And then his brother's just like, oh, fuck. And he just takes the keys and he's like, I don't care. He, he grabs a couple hits and walks away. And he's just like, no, here, take the rest. I don't care. Like, go get, get fucking high. But then he's like, oh, hey, you want to kill somebody for me? And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. Like, and it just like kind of all goes downhill from there with people just getting tortured and beaten, slashed up. And you're just like, damn, this is uh, taking a darker turn than some of these heist movies go. But that's sometimes what happens when, among, amongst criminals. Uh, they're more willing to go the distance when it comes down to money and selling you up the river. Mm. Sons of well, bitches. Well, if if I ever th- had the opportunity, you'd be done. <laughs> I'd be done. You'd be yeah. done, man. Once, once you have something on me. Well, I have stuff on you. I'm just waiting. That's what I mean. I'm just waiting for a sweet chance to get in there and just really blow uh, you out. In the words of uh, John Travolta in Battlefield Earth, leverage. Leverage. How long have you been waiting with that in your back pocket? Uh, just, uh, just for just for the perfect time to drop that Battlefield Earth quote. That's right. <laughs> Wow. Wow. It only took 100 episodes almost. Mm-hmm. Well, Outstanding. I liked you, Macaroni. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Macaroni stuff in well, here. Well, you know, you, you, but you know the rules. <laughs> I do know the rules. And then you're dead. Mm-hmm. My man Godfrey style. Yes, sir. Um, you know what, though, RJ? There's some people who, I guess, dislike... Rafifi. There's like very, like there's no anyone? There, yeah, there's like no one stars uh, with, yeah. with words beside them, but uh, we got we got a couple here. We got one in like some sort of Arabic script, so I don't, mm-hmm. know, I don't know what it means, but they didn't like it at all. Um, but nice. L, L, L Ding, L Ding, two stars. A special shout out to all the ladies in this film whose roles were just to be pushed out of the way. So that's one thing I did make a note of. It's like it sucks to be a woman in this movie because yeah, they, they, they get like the one girl she gets gets like beaten with a belt by the hero of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are we supposed to be going? Yeah, she betrayed him. She got what she, she's getting what she deserves. I'm like, okay. There's the the another character who's like, she's just a dancer, and teehee, I'm dumb. And then you get the wife, and she's just the dutiful mother. So it's like, ah, that's that's all there is to it. Um, mm-hmm. As the film progresses, it, it seems to get past those um, those tropes. But yeah, it's definitely a dude movie. Um, yeah, and there's not a lot of place for ladies. Uh, I'm not sure how they would view this movie. 
James Vincent, two and a half stars. Uh, just actually from a couple weeks ago. Yes, the extended dialogue-free near-silent heist scene is well done. What else does Rafifi offer that gives it this insanely high praise? The rest is pretty run-of-the-mill French crime cinema, which is like kind of a French film, but by an American director. It's starring or co-starring an American playing an Italian. Hmm. What? <laughs> but it, that's me. It's not because it's not a. It's, it's like kind of a French movie. Like, the, uh, yeah, yeah. What are we talking about? I'm, I'm just more like, I, I, it's weird. This is a French movie. I guess I, I've always kind of assumed it was a French movie, but then I was reading about yeah. it. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess it's not kind of American director in France, French mm-hmm. cast, uh, uh, the director himself playing a uh, Italian man, disparaging the Italian race further. Hey, that's the whole goal of the Criterion uh, initiative. Yeah. It all started with an idea. Uh, and then uh, Chris here, two and a half stars. I really wanted to dig this. I would give the first half three stars and the lagging latter half two. This is such a strange film because it's basically a hard-boiled American noir set in France. So if you have French people acting very much American, I read that Jules Dassin was blacklisted, so it all makes sense. Yup. Great looking film, too. What does he have against the look of this film? Well, he says it's great looking film oh that's not that wasn't sarcastic no that was uh, just a random series of thoughts in a paragraph uh not, not, there's not a lot of disdain headed toward this movie which is understandable i don't know well, that's I, what i mean there's nothing to dislike about it no i mean i don't I, think so like i said uh my attention was held watching this whole movie that doesn't happen all the time uh sometimes mm-hmm. i i drift and uh yeah I, I put that laptop down so i could delve deep into it really enjoy it rj i don't like the way you talk sometimes <laughs> i know it's like, i don't think i'm the only one either it's, it's almost it, it's almost like i do it on on purpose i almost. i really can someone email in and talk and just mention about how upsetting Jarrett duncan is sometimes <laughs> just email in be like i don't like that guy he really bugs me okay let me know if he bugs you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right well i think that's that <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, Rafifi's cool. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's a good movie, man. Good, good movie. stuff. Yeah. After the break, um, well, RJ broke the rules. And, and he knew them. Fucking bring it on, buddy. The streets were deserted, though the police were alerted. They considered the phone call a hoax. Furtively glancing, then jauntily prancing, the youth caught the guards unaware. Slipping between them, he ought to have seen them, the eyes and their own so near. pushing cattle around, getting mm-hmm. rammed in the ass with horns. Do you ever think about uh, heists and what sort of heist you'd like to pull? 
Yeah, I have an elaborate cow heist planned. Yeah. But uh, you got to be careful because for a lot of them uh, wrestlers, yeah. them cattle wrestlers, yeah. uh, you can get the death penalty yeah, in some states. Some of those uh, backward states. Some of them states, yeah, you can get the death penalty. So uh, I go by the alias of Jarrett Duncan anytime I'm uh, out of my home city. Leaving, leaving your cards around? Recording it on a podcast that's like broadcast around the world as evidence? This is all hearsay. Shit. Yeah. You, you can email us at criteriancreeps at gmail.com and tell us about your great heist ideas. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duggan. He's Barnloaf. We got a Patreon. Um, we got YouTube. Mm-hmm. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Rate, subscribe, listen. Mm-hmm. Maybe recommend us to a friend. Your special Do friends. Anything. anything. Please. Please, for the love of God. Next week, RJ, are you mm. aware? that next week is our 100th episode. I thought we did that like eight weeks ago. <laughs> that was the Spine 100 some some weeks ago. But this is our 100th episode. Is that good? I, I guess some people might call that a landmark, uh, a big mm. a big deal. Um, I think it's kind of cool. But it's un- then I started thinking, like, Jesus Christ, we've been almost doing this for two years. Hmm. Good God. Um, what have we done? With what our have lives? we done? Well, you know, I think I think I want to do a laser disc dip. Is that good? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Uh, and we're going to do it with our boy, Orson Welles. So next week, spine number nine in the laser disc collection for our 100th episode, we're going to be watching The Magnificent Ambersons from 1942. Much like this podcast. A compromised vision of a genius. Is that good? (gasps) Find out next week. Good night. Um, okay.